This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, the unofficial podcast for Fantasy Flight's Twilight Imperium. Episode 104, The Barony of Letnev Strategy Guide. Music by Ben Prunty, featuring Matt Martins and Hunter Donaldson. And you had to be sick on today of all days when we have a big, long, scary strategy guide to do. Mm-hmm. And I'm just now I'm going to have to we talk had all, a lot <laughs> after we had already press, pushed it back too. It's like yeah. when you call into work for like not being very sick at all, and then the next week you're like super sick, and you're like, oh <laughs> man, I really wish I hadn't called in last week because now yeah. I got to go in. <laughs> it's exactly like that. But we're not. We're not. Pushing it again. We're doing it. You're here. You've mm-hmm. shown up to the right day. Today's yep. the Barony Guide. Yep. yep. Uh, man, O'Malley. I'm ready to just man right O'Malley it, to be because it's, it's the Barony of Letnev. Oh, you remembered. <laughs> oh, you remembered. Uh, the Barony of Letnev are the space barons. Mm-hmm. What else? What else do you call them? What are? Yep. What are that's it. That's top, the only thing you call the, the Barony. Top of the dreadnought to you. <laughs> Oh, you're gonna click kiss the barony stone. <laughs> uh, oh, I love the that. Yeah, that's actually really good. The barony stone. Yeah. Well, I I I, I want to start this guide out with a note, mm-hmm. which is I feel um I feel as bad inside as you feel bad on the outside. Oh, uh, good. Recording this episode, uh, and that's the I've I've now realized that that is the perfect mood to be in. When you play Barony, uh, it should be a gut wrenching fear. That, oh yeah, uh, that that you enter. Uh, yeah, that that should be your mentality when you sit down to play the Barony of Letnev. Uh, you you start with a lot of confidence, and then you quickly have it all taken away from you over time, over multiple games. You keep playing Barony, and you go, "Why isn't all the why aren't all the things working? I've tried I've tried all the things that should just be good. I'm just good at everything, and yet nothing." is like making me feel really, really good. Am mm-hmm. I just supposed to feel bad all the time instead? And then once you kind of accept that feeling, now you're ready to play the Baron Yaletnev. They're, uh, they're drinkers, they are. <laughs> you know? So, not to be crass or rude, but we're all thinking it. Uh, so, you know, it's like a lot of fun at first, but then there's, you know, there's the hangover, and you kind of wish you hadn't done all that. And I, I think... This sounds like just a big joke, but I actually do think there is a barony aspect of them getting drunk on their own power. Yeah. You yes, know? absolutely. And then uh, everybody's everybody kind of treats you at the table like you are a drunk person at the party, where crazy, it's like, barony, yeah. it, we have to do something about barony right now because they are ruining this party. We're not going to let barony behind the wheel the, the wheel of this car, are we? Mm-hmm. We got we to, gotta, you know, someone else has to take control here. It cannot be barony. Right. Let's talk about their stuff so that we can figure out why uh, we feel so trepidatious about this really good faction. That yeah, should yeah, be give, really good. And g- then give me their isn't. starting units. Let's talk about those. What they start with? So it's weird. Baron, they have a weird they, one. They have, I would say, the weirdest start. Huh. Uh, they start with one carrier and one dreadnought, and then they start with three infantry. One of the very few factions that starts with three infantry. Uh, you get one fighter as like a really dumb consolation prize. Uh, and then you get a destroyer. No space stock, nothing like that. So you basically have 
we talk about two C4I, that's two carriers, mm-hmm. four infantry. They have 1.5 C and 3I. So like one and a half of both, which yeah. is fine if you have one two planet system and one one planet system next to like your home or whatever. It's like, okay, yeah, that's obviously that's that all checks out. I need, uh, but it still is kind of like not as much as you would love to see. Um, it, and that's, that's like the start of the sort of like pseudo underwhelming nature of barony. Uh, their home planets, uh, we're going to talk even more about their home system a little bit later, but their home system rules, uh, you have a four zero and a two one. So you have six production in your home system, which is the most out of any faction. You have more production than anybody and you get it on two separate planets, which is, uh, really, really good. Uh, they also start with two tech, which is always a good sign of a very good faction. Mm-hmm. Uh, they start with anti-mass deflectors, which is the one where you can go through asteroid fields and a minus one to uh, PDS fire. And they also have plasma scoring, which is great because you're going to do lots of bombardment with the Barony of Letnev, probably. Um, I want to get out there and say, of the factions that start with two tech, Barony are towards the bottom mm-hmm. in terms of, like ability and and what you can accomplish with them there are so many of the other ones are are better and have a better track record than barony letnev i would put barony letnev and mentak in about the same boat in, in regards to the factions that start with two tech where it's yeah. kind of like they should be great but man things just kind of sometimes fall apart for them yeah and um, and i, I want to say something as a bit of a disclaimer because i feel like we're kind of down talking the barony we are what what it is is that we have a perception going into this strategy guide that the barony are a very strong, very powerful faction, and they are. But it just feels like there's a bit of a caveat that I feel like people don't quite see or express. You, you know? know what? It, yeah, and you know what? It, it's it's also it's kind of me personally coming on too strong with with this opinion because I want people to approach barony carefully. Yeah. Uh, barony has a very a uh, bad win rate actually like if you if you know looking at the stats that we only kind of half trust that they don't perform super well despite having all these great things so it's really important to accept that about them and instead of looking them like a great faction that's going to do really well if you just kind of like do it all you have to look at where are their weak areas because there de- there clearly are weak areas and it's actually really hard to specifically pinpoint those so that you can not have as many problems in those weak areas right right Let's talk about their abilities then. Let's 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 get into it. Well, uh, so tell me got, about Arm- Armada. Armada is uh, it's it should be your bread and butter. It's kind of like what makes Barony Barony. It's it's what gives them most of their theme. The maximum number of non-fighter ships you can have in each system is equal to two more than the number of tokens in your fleet pool. Mm-hmm. Um, so. This is to say you should have two more ships in all your fleets all the time, but. This ability does not work out that way. Don't think of Armada as like, I'm going to have a bunch of big, scary fleets all game. Because what ends up happening with Barony Aletnev is in round one with Warfare, or at the end of round one during the status phase, you're going to get to redistribute your command tokens. And what you're going to do is you're going to pull two tokens at least out of your command pool area so that you match the same three fleet supply as everybody else. You have one plus your two with Armada. Uh, and you're going to put those two command counters somewhere else, and it's going to improve your round two ability, and you now no longer have the faction ability armada. It's gone. 
you, you, all Armada does is gives you a better round two. Yeah. Um, uh, can, and, can, can you kind of defend that a little bit though? Like what, why, why is that so much better than just keeping the three in there and being able to have five fleets? Well, first off, there's almost no world where you're going to have more than three, uh, ships in a single system in round two or even probably round three. Uh, and if you do have that, you don't need to. You shouldn't have that many ships in one system. You need to be expanding and spreading out and doing things. So first off, it's just a waste of time. So you need to be pulling them out anyways to get the most use out of them. Right. And and the bigger thing is you can strike hard early as Barony. And because you're basically given two free command counters, it only ramps that up. Be, basically, being able to do two extra actions or an extra action and an extra strategy card in round two is incredibly powerful. For most factions, round two is typically a pretty starved round. People try to do a lot round one, which means they gain two command counters in uh, at, at the end of round one. For me, I know I almost always have like two command counters in tactics or strategy put together going into round two maybe three if i pulled from fleet supply mm -hmm. barony letnev can have four or five yeah. depending on how many you take out so you can just already have a way better round two uh more actions more strategy uh card secondaries so it's it's just setting yourself up better for future rounds uh rather than just keeping them there for no reason and getting no benefit out of them until like round four right um, I, I completely agree with what you're saying. Uh, I think in general, you know, the command counter economy can become a problem for any faction at any stage of the game. But I think the early game is where it is most critical yep. or where it's yep. most obviously going to be like, well, I haven't even got my slice set up yet because I didn't have enough command counters to do everything that I needed right. to do this round. And this assures that that will never happen to you, basically. Right. You should always be able to secure your slice in a meaningful way as the Barony Aletnev. Um and to, to add to that is your home system with six resources. Uh, so it's six extra resources and essentially six extra influence in those two command counters. Right. It, it's a huge uh, bonus. Uh, they also have a second ability, munitions reserves. Uh, at the start of each round of space combat, you may spend two trade goods. You may reroll any number of your dice during that combat. At myself as Barony, I've probably done this twice ever in twilight imperium fourth mm -hmm. edition uh maybe a little bit more and I, that's not to say it's a horrible ability but two trade goods um for just a re-roll meaning not a guarantee of a hit or anything like that right is a little bit costly but more importantly you are not a trade faction so the trade could the trade goods you do manage to come by are not usually going to stick around with you super long so the idea of spending two of my very limited trade goods on just a re-roll that's a tough pill to swallow uh it it's it could be a pretty good ability especially there's a lot of theories about the idea of the more ships you have you know if you went fighter two and lots of destroyers and things like that uh and swarmed people and then spent two trade goods your re-rolls are going to actually be pretty effective mm -hmm. uh, because it's just more dice you're re-rolling right but it's still, because it's just so hard to get those trade goods in the first place, it makes it feel a little bit more costly than it would for somebody else. If, like, if the Hakan had this ability, oh my gosh, it would it would be awesome. I mean, right, it's sort of, right. it's it. this is better than the Wrath of Kanara ability. If the Wrath of Kanara's ability was instead of applying plus one to the result, it was to re-roll when you spend one trade good, that flagship would, would be definitely improved. Yeah. Uh, 
over what it is right now. So, right. so I mean, it just re- it requires you to have two spare trade goods, and a lot of the other things about the factions just means that you probably yeah. won't. Well, have that and the biggest thing is trade goods are most useful for scoring objectives. I mean, like bankrolling. Mm-hmm stockpiling trade goods is kind of one of the best things you can do in the game so the idea that like you're gonna get rid of two or more every round just to try to secure battles is i mean it better be an important battle that's the biggest thing with this ability is you might use it one time but it could be a game changer for you it could be that last big fight that you have to do okay now we'll spend the two trade goods because i have to win this and it will win me the game that's what you think about when you when you use munitions reserves yeah it's 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 interesting. It's not quite as interesting though, or I would say critical, uh, as their flagship, the Arc Secundus. Uh, how how's that flagship doing? Uh, it's man. You know what? I want to say this. I want to call it the best flagship in the game. What? I really do. It, well, it, that's not true because it didn't win. It didn't win the flagship. It tournament. didn't win the flagship tournament. So <laughs> well, I think the flagship it, it did tournament well though. Was rigged. It, it definitely did do well though. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. But in reality, it has more abilities than every other flagship. It hits at the best that any other flagship hits. It's got comparable capacity. But more importantly, just like for what you, it feels like a flagship should do, the Arc Secundus like, does it all. Other players' units in this system lose Planetary Shield, which is the same ability that uh, War Suns have. Essentially, it just eliminates people's uh pds's uh mm-hmm. in terms of you being allowed to bombard their planets right uh, normally a pds prevents you from bombarding this thing always gets to bombard no matter what not just this thing but ships in this system will bombard any planet you want to add that would be a good enough ability on its own to add to it at the start of each space combat round repair this ship so uh that's that's a really specific timing window that means like it's all like you have to kill it all in one hit to do anything about it. Uh, there's they're, they're gonna have a faction tech we're gonna talk about in a second that makes this ability even better. Uh, and if you get that plus duranium armor, this thing can be like kind of ridiculous. Uh, the way I like to talk about Baron Yeletnev is in a ten point game, they're they're good, but they have troubles. In a fourteen point game, holy cow! I, uh, this is a whole different conversation if we're talking about a fourteen point game. Uh, which we're not going to do very much this this guide, uh, but, but suffice it to say, the 14-point guide essentially is a lot of the same things as this guide, except for then also get non-Euclidean shielding and get Duranium armor and get your flagship out there and never lose a single space combat ever again and take every single planet you want to take whenever you want to. <laughs> That's That sounds big. That's big. That sounds like a big flagship. <laughs> That's great. Uh, so let's get into their faction tech since we're already talking about it. Uh, Non-Euclidean shielding reads as when one of your units uses sustained damage, cancel two hits instead of one. So normally sustained damage is Mm -hmm. a cancel of one hit. Now you can soak two hits, which means if you have two dreadnoughts, you can cancel four hits before anything has to happen to it. If those dreadnoughts are dreadnought twos, they can't be direct hit, which means that's four unstoppable things. When it's your flagship, it gets to repair the next round. So every round you get to cancel two hits and then get that repair back to then cancel them again. It's completely insane. It's completely insane. Just even plastic wise, I've seen the Arc Secundus go up against like fleets that just look so big and just it just wins because that is so insane basically and the old matt and hunter would have said oh man this is a must get tech you should get it every game it's completely amazing and it's going to win you games because you're going to have unstoppable fleets but 
we're not going to go that direction today yeah, because no. Yon Euclidean shielding is a little bit too far out of your way, which is funny because you start with a red tech and it's only a two red requirement. It's not even that far away from you, mm-hmm. but everything we've learned about TI4 is just the red tech path hurts a little bit. Right. And what non-Euclidean shielding is offering you is not something that helps you win games. It's what helps you hold on to games you've already won. Does that make sense? Yeah, um, that it's more important to have the points secured before you're going after something as um, kind of win more yes. uh, as non-Euclidean shielding. Yeah, uh, I do want to be clear, though. We're not saying that the Arc Secundus falls under that no. way of oh thinking. Oh, my gosh. But non-Euclidean shielding, I feel like for this go-around on the Barony, does feel that way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, their second tech is L4 Disruptors. During an invasion, units cannot use space cannon against your units. Don't let anyone ever convince you that this is a bad tech. It is not a bad tech. It is just a situational tech. If you don't have like neighbors with a even somewhat decent amount of PDS... Then you don't need it, but if you do, if you have a neighbor with some PDS, this tech is really great, uh, and you're almost definitely getting Sarween if you're going to follow this guide today, which means you're going to be one away from this. Um, basically, it's one that you are not sad to have uh, bought if you draw the secret objective, have two faction techs. Uh, it, it's it's I, I'm totally happy when I have L4 disruptors, unless like nobody at the table has PDS, but that's kind of rare. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's an incredibly effective ability, especially because the Barony Aletnev has a typically has a little bit of an infantry problem. Um, and being able to not be shot at by PDS on your invading infantry is a huge boon, is a really yeah. nice improvement yeah. on, on counteracting that problem. Because normally the only response to PDS on a planet is like, well, I got to bring even more infantry. And that's a little bit difficult uh to do as barony yeah i i think it's like deceptively good like something that on those first couple passes you kind of read it and you're like what but then once you start seeing the problems that barony has um the biggest of all i think being having enough ground forces to get the stuff done that you need done yeah uh, then yeah it makes a lot of sense basically yeah and there's really honestly there's a situational um like board setup where, like, I don't know, if both of your neighbors are PDS factions, you could probably throw out this whole guide, and I would tell you, go straight down yellow and get Sarween, L4 Disruptors, and uh, Transit Diodes, and, like, have a way better game at dealing with those specific problems. But that's such a specific thing that, like, we're going to take a lot more of a general approach. But suffice it to say that, like, Transit Dioding, a bunch of ground forces, and having L4 Disruptors to let them invade easier is a really useful counter against pds especially right. when you load them on the arc secundus and also get to bombard the planet first yeah yep. that makes sense um, but really at the end of the day that's the thing is they're both a little bit win more non-euclidean yeah. shielding is definitely win more l4 disruptors the the your flagship itself already fulfills a little bit of the i don't need as many infantry problem that l4 disruptors also solves but l4 disruptors is solving it in a somewhat different manner yeah uh, yeah, I, I, I feel like L4 is like the really specific one. Um, and then the non-Euclidean is kind of your like win more. But it's yeah. maybe that's not the best way to put it because it's more like it's more about like locking down yeah. a victory. And I think to kind of stress that point, because I feel like we might be turning people off already at the beginning. I just want to say that the tech 
the tech path that we're going to like kind of unveil later in the episode is more about keeping you flexible and non-Euclidean to me seems like I'm committed to kind of just winning space risk, yeah. which is like, you're going to need to do that. I feel like with Barony, but when you do that, I think is crucial. And the point where I think you would do that is at a point where you no longer, we can no longer advise you. Cause it's like, yeah. you can't really make late game tech recommendations cause it's the late game. You should just be right. getting whatever you need to get. And yeah. I bet frequently it will be non-Euclidean shielding, but we're not going to recommend that you sprint for it or you right. rush for it or something like that. Right. Majin's not useful. Getting non-Euclidean isn't even that useful because you're not going to really get like a ton of dreadnoughts out very fast. And if you're not getting blue tech, those dreadnoughts aren't going very far. So you just end up with a bunch of slow, beefy dreadnoughts. And right. that doesn't get you anywhere. That's right. sort of the downfall of people who really want to go down red tech uh, with Barony. Um, let's talk about their commodities. You only have two. So... Not great. Uh, gonna run Huge into some bummer. problems there. I think that's actually the biggest bummer about Barony yeah. is the only two commodities. That right. is a huge bummer. And and it's I think it is specifically because munitions reserves exist as yeah, an ability. Yeah. Yeah. But that's that's sad. Uh, it sucks because they I they they could be a four commodity faction and I wouldn't feel that bad about it. Oh, like, see, I would. I actually feel like it's a critical like Achilles heel. Like I feel like I mean, if they probably, were four commodity, they would. They would crush. They would be like one of the best factions. I guess the point is we see other factions that don't have critical Achilles heels. So it's like, man, why can't they all just be really awesome right. like Soul? <laughs> yeah, I, I I, totally agree with that aspect of it. I just feel like it. the fact that Barony has this one problem is, I think, what kind of makes them who they are right now. Yeah. They would be completely yeah. different. Absolutely. Uh, finally, they have a promissory note. It's called War Funding. At the start of a round of space combat, the Letnev player loses two trade goods. During this combat round, re-roll any number of your dice, then return this card to the Letnev player. It's important to note that there's a like kind of a paragraph break in there. The Letnev player does not have to have two trade goods for yeah. you to be able to use War Funding. Uh, and in fact, as Barony Letnev, that's the only time you want to give this thing out is when you don't have trade goods that will get taken from you for someone to use this ability. And we'll talk about it probably even more later. Actually, we won't talk about it too much more later. I'm just going to say it right now. Don't use this promissory note unless they're going to use it right now. Meaning, give it to someone at the start of a combat, as and they're the aggressor, and they want to win that combat. Okay, yeah. here's a war funding so that you can help that. I don't have any trade goods right now. Now's the perfect time to use it. Here it is, and then they use it right then and there. Because the, the one thing that sucks about war funding is when you give it out to someone as just like a random trade, and then it gets passed around, or you forget that you gave it to them, or whatever. It's just out there, and then someone takes two trade goods from you at like a critical moment that you weren't right. expecting. Right, right. Um, or you were really not, counting on those yeah. for a point. That, if you're that, gonna, that actually it, happened to you, right, Matt? It did happen to me. It's yeah. a stupid mistake. Like, you shouldn't do that. You should just remember that you gave out war funding and account for it, but to just... at to, to know that two trade goods could leave you at any point will always hurt, will always be unfortunate uh, to have to plan around that at all. So it's better to just sell it when it's being used. Yeah. Not to get too... Th I just want to say one more thing about war funding before we move forward. Um, technically, if I'm going to rules lawyer it, if you're selling war funding for trade goods, you have to do it non-binding, right? Because otherwise you're going to lose those... Like, let's say you have no trade goods... And somebody's like, all right, I'll buy war funding for four trade goods. Oh, yeah, goods. yeah, yeah. You can't you, be well, like... Well, that's, that's the thing is you kind of can't sell it for trade goods. That's what that's the biggest thing that makes it not a very good promissory note is mm -hmm. you have to sell it for other promissory notes or other favors or, like you're saying, non-binding trade goods. Here, use it. 
then after the combat, on my next turn, you'll give me trade goods or something stupid. Like, it doesn't even, it rarely makes sense. Because, yeah, you cannot trade it for trade goods because you're just going to lose those trade goods. Right. Unless they're giving you, like, way more knowing that they're going to use two of yours, right? Like, if they're, like, wanting to use their own trade goods, that can be part of it. But that means they need to also pay you more. Which means more funding becomes worth, like, four trade goods. And I don't think there's that many people that are going to spend four trade goods to get this ability. When right. it's almost not even worth it for you to use it when it costs two trade goods. Right. I want to kick back around to uh, for their home system. Uh, we, we briefly mentioned it. Mm-hmm. But it's worth bringing up again that it's super 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 good and we're gonna have a few different ways that you can interact with it that need to be kept in mind the biggest thing being uh, a four and a two planet each with space docks on them is 10 production capacity which is quite a lot we are we are very much in favor of double docking your home system which means putting a second space dock on your second planet renterra uh, so that you can have that huge production capacity. There are arguments against this play, but it is very good. And even if you're not doing that, starting with $6 is quite a lot. Uh, and because it's split up into two planets, you get to use it in ways that other factions don't get to. The The best comparison is the L1Z1X are the next in line for best planet, but theirs is a 5-0, which means if they want to buy tech, they're spending $5 instead of 4 right. whereas you have right. a 4-0, you spend the 4 on tech, you still have $2 left over to buy other stuff in round 1. It's yeah. very, very useful round 1. It's great. It's it's Honestly, I've heard people talk about it where they're like, that's practically a, a like faction yeah. ability that they have, is just having this great home system divided up this uh, special way. But, yeah, uh, but- like we're going to talk about double docking the home system, but don't think that we're only going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about you know if you choose to have a forward dock as well. Those are yeah. kind of the two, the two main yeah. approaches. If anything, we're go with. now that we've covered everything, this is where the Barony Guide goes a little crazy. Uh, if you listen to our last Barony Guide, our first round strategies with Barony, um, we we came up with four different Baronies that you can play. We're not really right. doing that today. We're not going to like just give you four distinct baronies, but barony is wide. If if Federation of Soul Guide was like, here's this one thing that you do amazing and you should focus on doing it, barony of guide is almost the most opposite that any of the guides could possibly be because <laughs> yeah. there's not really just one thing you should do. Right. It's, it's maybe, I'm maybe overstating that, but it's way more difficult to pin down exactly what's the best way for barony to win games you kind of have to have your head on a swivel and be paying attention to a lot of things and be prepared to change course kind of at any moment yeah i agree with that i think in this is what's attractive about barony is that it is kind of like i don't know it's kind of a weird faction to even do this type of content for because There's not really like a wrong way to play them. Um, there are some pitfalls that there are some things you can get caught on that aren't great, but there's not like a, oh, well, what you're doing right now is literally makes no sense with that faction. You know what I mean? Like, however right. you approached it, it's not like it wouldn't make sense. Whereas, like, with Soul, you could do all kinds of stuff that would be like, wow, you're just like making it harder for yourself right, right. now. Right. Um, and that's not really as true um, with Barony. Uh, however, that being said, uh, I think they have a problem that exists more above the table than yeah. just the components and the overview. But that's getting a little ahead of ourselves. Matt, do you want to get into the early game? 
I, I yes, but I'm I'm afraid to. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> I'm so afraid. Uh, we're gonna let's break down uh, our round one, and we'll talk about the early game, kind of feeding into round two. Uh, with our soul guide, it was very much a like do this in round one so that you can do this in round two. Yeah. Barony doesn't work that way, uh, and so if anything, we have to take it even more from the perspective of what does your plan become depending on what strategy card you get, because they might be kind of pretty different plans uh depending on what you end up with um, i think there's a general logic to everything but you can just take things in a lot of different directions depending on what you end up with mm-hmm. um so before we even get into specific strategy cards i want to say what like the general idea of a round one should be for barony no matter what mm-hmm. which is you have a carrier a dreadnought and three infantry two of the infantry need to hop on the carrier and go take a planet and one Infantry needs to hop on the Dreadnought and go take another planet. If you can somehow get another carrier and two more infantry, that would be awesome, but it's not worth breaking your back to make that happen. It's it's It can be really difficult to uh, achieve that, and so it's just not worth, like killing your round two to like pull off some really really ridiculous round one you are more about kind of incremental growth than you are about like big swings in action you kind of need to always keep your foot on the brake pedal and be prepared to like hold yourself back so that you can build up more and more and more because the more you can build up throughout the game the more solid you'll be going into the end game uh victory conditions yeah um i would say our theme for kind of round one is really just trying to be very steady. Um, yeah. There is a lot to do, I feel like, with Barony early game. Um, and we want to do that steadily and set up because we're probably looking to be aggressive in the uh, rest of the early game or possibly the mid game. So right. if we're going to back up that aggression, then we have to you know, set our, set our slice up correctly. We have to expand fast and efficiently. Um, And a lot of our recommendations for the strategy cards are locked into those goals, basically. And you should very much be prepared to spend four at least four command counters round one, uh, two of them on expansion, and your two strategy counters are almost always going to be used uh, because if you unless you have one of these two cards, you're doing the secondary of tech or the secondary of warfare in basically every situation mm-hmm. uh, because you can afford it. You can afford $4 for tech and you'll have two extra dollars. You don't want to leave that just sitting there. So you probably need to do warfare. And like we've already said a couple times, you have an infantry problem. So at the very least, even if you're not building more ships, that $2 can be spent on four infantry just to help yourself later on down the road. You right. won't regret it. Right. <laughs> so and re- let's and, and real quick, I just want to remind everybody that, um, if, if you hear us and it sounds like we're just spending too many command counters, we are recommending that in round two, you take those two, yeah. or at least by round two, you've taken those two command counters out of your fleet pool and you've put them into your strategy or tactics, right. uh, whichever makes sense, basically. Yeah. Doesn't really You're going to have plenty more next round, so don't yeah. be too afraid of overspending command counters yeah. this we're, round. We're, we're, gonna, we're either going to spend a lot of command counters or stockpile a lot of command counters depending yeah. on where we go with this. Let's let's talk about that specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about what we do if we get leadership. I think leadership is the one that I have the least comfortable answer in because um, there's just so much you kind of can do when you take leadership round one. Yeah. I got um, I Can I be honest? I kind of love your, the leadership options yeah. that you've laid out here, though. It's very interesting. Yeah. There's, there's basically two big directions that you can go in 
uh, I'll do the second one first that I've written down, which is you can just stockpile those command counters. Uh, mm-hmm. Command counters are useful all game. There's no need to completely go crazy round one when, like we said, you can play slow and steady, do all the things you would normally do round one without trying to do too much extra, but having even more command counters to feed into round two, which probably means you're not even going to spend them all in round two, which gives you an even stronger round three. You kind of just set up your entire early game just by taking leadership. Yeah. Uh, I feel like that's good advice, but I doubt anyone will take that one. Uh, <laughs> right. What, what's the crazy thing we could do, Matt? Let's talk about the crazy expansion. Uh, the crazy thing you can do is like be an absolute madman in how you decide to expand. Uh, the first thing is you're going to gain three extra command counters. We're not right. planning to get any more than that. We're not. Sp- we only have one influence in our pie slice. We're not getting a bunch of command counters. Right. Uh, we're getting the three that you get when you get leadership. Right. Um, so what are we going to do with those three extra command counters? Well, first off, we now kind of get some more freedom uh, in sending some of our units out. So our biggest goal is to try to send out our destroyer to go make trade uh, negotiations with right. somebody. Trade ship. Um, in, in any other situation, you you maybe can still do this, but leadership, you definitely can do this, is mm-hmm. the biggest point. You will always have a command counter to spare to send a destroyer out. So you try to get next to the trade person, you get two trade goods. If they're on the complete opposite side of the map and it's obvious this isn't going to happen, okay, abort. Don't send the destroyer out. That's useless. Um, but you're going to try to get at least $2 from it because those $2 are going to later let you build an extra carrier and two more ground forces. You have $2 on Renterra, two trade goods gives you four for a $3 carrier, two, uh, $1, two infantry. Can I make so, a recommendation for how you might get this done? Getting yes. Because it's hard to get $2 when that, those are your commodities. Yeah. So what you need is like, you need somebody that you can wash like and get them, you know. Let's say they've got four commodities. Wash their commodities. Get get them get them their four, just so you can get your two. Basically, right. that's how critical it is. And you and, right. and I want to get this idea going that we're going to continue as a theme throughout the guide, which is like you need to be a sweet boy whenever it comes to trades. Basically, yeah. Be nice. There's a there's a thing that happens a lot when you don't have trade and you're trying to like woo people, uh, and it's sort of like a. Uh, yeah, I'll I'll wash you if you give me the trade good later or whatever. With barony, that's not such a great transaction, and especially round one, you don't want to be tricked into that because you don't want to end up with only one trade good. You yep. specifically need two dollars. So yeah, you need to do a two for two with somebody or whatever. Like that that's what your your big goal is. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Uh, your first action, let's say, was sending out the destroyer to try to just already establish that relationship. It doesn't obviously have to be that. You're probably better off expanding first. But you've got two more command counters uh, to do your normal expansion. Your carrier and your dread go out there somewhere. At some point in this process, tech has popped. And that's ideally when you moved your carrier out is after tech pop. You got gravity drive. You sent your carrier out to like adjacent to Mechatol Rex at a two-planet system or something like that. You know, you got it out there. Maybe right. you go take an equidistant right away. Right. Um, use It's maybe not amazing to use the carrier super aggressively. You could also do it with the Dread, but there's just fewer one-planet systems that are worth getting really aggressive about whatever you'll your slice will dictate what you do here but you're yeah. gonna expand with your carrier you're gonna expand with your dread you're gonna establish a trade negotiation with your destroyer and then when warfare pops because you have all these extra command counters ideally you've delayed long enough uh that warfare goes off you build your carrier you two your two ground forces and now you expand with a third carrier you took five planets this round congratulations that's that's a wild expansion 
basically. Yeah, and honestly, because they're all kind of within normal range of your home system, you're probably not that poorly defended. You're, you're probably decently protected. If anything, there's a total world where you could be going, you could have a planet on either side of your home system and move two of those expansion vessels to that, which means your home system is kind of safe because no one's going to try to come in through your side door, right? It's like right. You, you've protected that. But regardless, most people still aren't going to come for you anyways. But it is it is worth noting that if you took this strategy, you have left your home system basically completely empty. Um, so you don't want to do that if there's like a ghost in the game that's like able to come sneak into your home system or something right, like that. You right. really don't need to be having your starting space dock blockaded or even your home system invaded round one. Well, uh, and, It's and not just, common, but it's possible. Just be mindful of where you have that dread. Where is that dread? You know what right. I mean? Where, where have you left the dread? Don't. I don't think it is that smart to send the dread off as far away as possible. Right, right. Like a carrier, maybe. An aggressive carrier, sure. But a dread in the middle feels like, okay, if I attack... There is my response, basically, is the yeah. dread. The big thing to note here is if you don't have three systems in range worth taking round one, you need to already abandon almost all of this plane. Yeah, yeah, just, there's no point just to this. Instead, do the stockpile command counters. Yeah. Now, establishing the trade relationship and getting the two trade goods is maybe still always valuable, but you don't have to plan on moving that thing out. And you could just buy other stuff. Maybe you can get a different amount than two trade goods. It, it becomes kind of less important. Yeah. Um, though it may not be worth sending, you know, committing a, a command counter just to get two trade goods when you're not going to expand and get anything out of that round one. So I, right. I, I think if you can't get five planets, just stockpile your command counters and have a really good round two and three. Yeah, and and I would say maybe there's a place where we throw in a politics secondary. Um, if yeah, if, absolutely, if that's a thing. Uh, pr probably never a trade secondary. That's way too much of a cost for your little two commodities. But. Oh, you know what's something we didn't write down at all, but is absolutely a, a fact of this? Yeah. Um, you are almost definitely, well, I shouldn't say almost definitely, but uh, you want to do the secondary of construction mm -hmm. um, if the system is right for it. Uh, now, usually construction happens on the second action, um, but you're going before construction, so you definitely get to move out before they go. So usually it's you move out, then construction moves out, then you do something else, and then construction pops, right? Which means you could potentially have taken two different systems that are viable for you having um, a space dock on it. And that's right. what you're looking for. You're not doing the construction secondary for a PDS, but if you have a system like Abyss Freya or Baraglerta 4 with high production value planets... You want to get that space dock down out in the field as fast as possible. If if Abyss Freya or Bergler Four are adjacent to Mechatol Rex, that is a certain goal of yours. Now, whether or not you can make tech pop before all these other things, that's that's a whole other trick. But that would be like the dream scenario, right? Well, I think the the worst case scenario is you do this and you are brilliantly set up to get your forward dock out in round two. Like, I mean, just like, yeah. there's no way you're not going to get that out there. And right. then in round two, it's just going to be like, all right, I got my forward dock out. I'm fully expanded. Yeah. I am ready for the mid game, essentially, right. already. But it is certainly very nice to already have that forward dock because of what you can do in round two if of you've course. already got it out there. It's of very course. nice. The extra money will be able to be put to use. Your, your home system, you will be able to get all kinds of stuff out there. So yeah. look for that if you can. Let's talk about Diplo. Yeah. Ew. Diplo's Yuck. weird, uh, and we always kind of just we shrug our heads at it. We we hate it, but we I want to make really special mention here because Baron Yeletnev 
uh, has has the siren song with yeah, the temptation. The temptation is there. Uh, you have six resources in your home system, but you really have to think about how are those resources going to be allocated when you use Diplo. And when you think through it enough, you will see that Diplo is not a good get. Um, there's always the argument that you're granting more power to everybody else if mm-hmm. you do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's certainly true here. But even more so, your 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 Arc Prime planet, 4-0, is just, that's for tech. That's going to be used for tech. Right. Uh, so before Diplo becomes really, really worth it, you need to also spend Ren Terra. When are you doing that? Well, Warfare, if they're playing right, is probably stalling pretty long, which means you're waiting to use Diplo until very, very late in the round. And then even then, the the goal would then be to secondary Warfare, build at home, uh, and then activate home later to build six more dollars worth of stuff. You could do the flip side of that, but you have to make sure you move everything out first. Regardless, the whole point being, the only way you use Diplo is after like three full actions, Diplo being like your fourth action, maybe your third action. And at that point, everybody else is probably going to have expanded a decent amount, and they're going to get pretty much just as much power as you are. You will have lost the six dollar benefit the only way diplo would be worth it for you is if you could expand immediately spend all six dollars and then on your second turn pop diplo because everybody else will not be able to get six dollars worth of value out of it but you won't be able to use diplo on your second turn with any effect right and not to mention there is going to be a round of turns where you're vulnerable to the tech, whoever holds tech basically is going to be able to see the situation you're in and just be like, all right, I want to play tech now. Wait, no, you have to wait. Like you can't do it yet. Uh, but that's too bad basically. Yeah. You, you kind of have, you, you don't want to have spent any other money. Yeah. It's just a whole mess and it's, it's never comfortable. You, you really, it's not worth it. I I think if you take Diplo, the, what really breaks it for me in like a really simple way is that you are beholden to two of the other players with strategy cards and that you need the warfare player to play nice with you and the technology player to play nice with you. And you're never going to convince both of those players to do everything in the order that you need them to do it basically for diplomacy to make any sense, much less you're essentially probably giving everyone else exactly the same amount of money that you're getting or like maybe just one less than like, you know what I mean? Like it just doesn't work out to, really getting you that far ahead yeah yeah so it's a it's a bad idea and uh it's that settles it yes now that's not to say diplo's not useful later rounds for oh sure sure round one round one not not worth it but but barony can get quite a lot of use out of diplo in later rounds and especially in the end game i've had barony games where my last three strategy card takes were all diplo the last three rounds of the game i took diplo every single time yeah. And did not regret it at all. Yeah. It can be it can be a super potent combination, uh, but still doesn't make it good round one. Still get to hold that forever. Yeah, forever and ever. Hey, let's talk about politics. Uh, the whole thing you're doing with politics is most likely setting up to take Mechatol Rex because uh, you're still going to get Gravity Drive and you're going to have first pick of strategy card next round. Maybe, except we're going to have a we're going to throw one caveat on that. But you're getting early pick a strategy card, which means. If you're racing somebody for Mechatol Rex, you can engineer a situation where you definitely go before them and take Mechatol Rex first. So that's the first thing you're looking at when you take politics is, is there six influence available in my pie slice that I can take round one so that round two, I can take Mechatol Rex as my very first action. Yeah. 
Yeah. You're probably taking leadership round two in this situation because it's the only way to guarantee you go fast enough. Although Diplo round two is kind of an enticing idea here. Um, but I the feel bigger, like, I, I feel oh. like Barity is kind of a bummer when it comes to early game Mechatol Rex, though, just because it is. You only start with the one influence yep. in your home system, meaning we got to find five influence out in the wild. You're not particularly good at trade. I mean, you're bad at trade. Let's, yeah. let's just be straight with it. So yep. I feel like if it weren't for those things, I, it would just be like, yeah, Barony goes for Mechatol every time, early game. You just got to go for it. They start right. with the blue. They're good at fighting. Let's do it. But it seems like it's just hard for them to get that stuff together, basically, yep. just to have the six influence and then be ready to do it. And that's why we're going to recommend you sell the speaker token. Uh-huh. Uh, because you need probably some trade goods to better pull off having six influence to spend. Uh, and and that's going to be way easier to get those trade goods if you have the speaker token. The best case scenario for you is probably the person to your right having trade. Um but uh, there's things around that. But regardless, you definitely want to sell your speaker token to the right. When we say sell the speaker token, I think people get confused with this. The speaker token isn't something you can trade. What you're actually doing with the speaker token is when you pop politics, you are having someone pay for the price of you giving them speaker token. Yeah. It's not a traded item. It's not a transaction to give the speaker token, but it is a transaction to pay you so that you use the ability of giving someone the speaker token. Right. Uh, and this is incredibly powerful. And as long as the person to the right of you isn't someone racing you to Mechatol, which means as long as it's not Soul or Clan of Sar or maybe Hakan or Jolnar, uh, you're pretty safe to sell them the speaker token. Let them take first pick, and you'll still be able to get an early enough initiative order strategy card to take Mechatol Rex your first action. Right. Yeah, yeah. I I think uh, that, that, that that is very smart. That is the way to hopefully solve that. Uh, and honestly, I would say if you don't do that, then politics feels like kind of a bad pull for, yeah, for Barony. Kind of, it you, is kind of bad. I will say this much. We're not really going to dip into neural motivator territory. Uh, most li- I mean, there's there's certainly kind of one excuse for doing it, but we're, we're not going to recommend getting neural. So getting early action cards and just having them at your disposal is not so nice. Yeah. Uh, and, and more importantly, even if we're not gunning for Mechatol Rex, selling the speaker token and then also trying to get some money out of your commodities uh, could be really great. If the person sitting to the right of you just has trade and you can sell them the speaker token and your two commodities for like four trade goods, that's worth it in itself. That's yeah. just a that's a good get. That was that made politics worth it. You were able to get more value than a normal barony could ever get. Right. That's a good point. That's a very good point. Uh, let's talk about construction. Yeah. Uh, construction is... Uh, I'm only taking construction if I was sixth pick. Um, it's it's the last get, but you're not ruined. It's not, it's not over. Construction has its use to you. The main thing being what we sort of talked about with leadership, which is you're going to get a forward dock down or you're going to double dock your home system. Getting that space dock... Uh, out of the way is great for you. Everything else you're going to do is like your typical stuff. Do tech, do warfare, expand, yada, yada. But the biggest thing is in your expansion, you're looking for where is the best place to put a new space dock. If there's nowhere good that you can get outside of your home system, throw the double dock there. Um, Even then, uh, there's even if you do double dock and you can later find a forward dock, we're going to want a forward dock eventually, almost definitely. But we're going to talk a lot more about the double dock versus forward dock sort of strategy. But what sucks about taking construction is you sort of have to commit to that right now, right here. Um, 
And sometimes you don't necessarily want to commit to that. But I will say this much about double dock versus forward dock. Uh, the idea of double docking is that you get to maybe play a little bit more aggressive early and then recoil. And then the idea of spread out docks is that you're kind of doing a steady growth. So keep that in mind in your round one, depending on where you end up using construction, is how is this feeding into the overall strategy of either striking out and then pulling back in or constantly growing, constantly building, becoming a bigger and bigger threat and snowballing. Oddly enough, I feel like the two approaches are kind of inverted from the logic you think they would have. Whereas I think if you're going double dock home system, that means, okay, aggressive early so that we can kind of fall back in after we've gotten all the control objectives and right. a, a, like aggressive objectives we need to get. Whereas the forward dock is more of a like slow and steady, let's like not get too wild and crazy, basically. Right. Uh, trade. Trade is fun. Uh, and we kind of mentioned this earlier, but the main thing to think about with trade throughout the entire game is when you take trade, that's probably the only time you're getting reliable money as right. Barony Alive. You just don't have enough stuff to give out to people to ever make very much money. Yeah. Um, you know, a normal round without trade, you, you're lucky to get $2, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but when you have trade, you have a rare opportunity to make way more money than you deserve. Uh, and the biggest thing here is uh, you have a meta problem at the table that you need to fix, and now is the perfect opportunity to do so. You should be that annoying, generous trade czar. You should just be friends with everybody, wash every single person. Uh, and when we say wash, this has become a, a normal term, but a wash really is uh, getting one more trade good than you've given out to somebody. So when someone has two commodities, to wash them generally means uh, you get there two, you give them back one sort of right mm -hmm. am i saying that right um, sure sure uh there there are other ways you can kind of do this too you could also just refresh people for free as long as they promise to give you a trade good stuff like yeah, that that something that, later that on. essentially equals the same thing it just depends on how binding or non-binding your uh meta at the table. i mean i feel like we play with people where you can just kind of do the like all right, I'll refresh you as long as you give me a trade good. And most people yeah. will take that deal, uh, and you get a trade good. And you, if you do that with five people, then that's five trade goods, which is great. Right. right. Yeah, and and if anything, too, you're getting... The, your basic goal is to get, a, you know... I mean, it's trade round one, so you're only going to be able to deal with a few people. But honestly, you're trying to just make good inroads with other people and hoping that they hold true to some non-binding deals in the agenda phase. Mm -hmm. I don't... I don't... I'm never comfortable doing a non-binding deal like this, but Barony, you need the... You need the the happiness of everybody else directed at you. Um, yeah. So this is a great way to just start your game. Um, the other big thing to note with trade is there, there may be a situation where you need to fatten the person with warfare so that they don't stall you out. Uh, that's not something that's like a guarantee, but if it looks like warfare is going to stall, you can make promises of like, hey, I will definitely trade with you. I will definitely wash you clean with your commodities, which is just like whatever your commodities are, I'll make sure you get exactly that many trade goods as long as you pop warfare early enough for it to be useful to me. Right. Uh, and and also just in general, like I think with Barony as opposed to some other factions, just don't be afraid to like be really nice when it comes to the trade deals. You just, you don't have a lot to like, you don't, you don't bring a lot to the table when it comes to trade negotiations in general, you've got two commodities and a basically pretty useless, uh, faction, uh, like, well, it's not useless. Actually, it's great, but your faction promissory note, you just can't really give it out. So like that's, yeah. that's 
you just don't have a lot to to stand on. So take nice deals, let people get away with some stuff. Um, I I like the idea of with Barony um, doing a lot of uh, favors that incur non-binding debts. Like you know, right. hey, give me a trade good in the future, and then you know what? Hey, you know what? Let's just forget about that trade good in exchange for this. Like that right. type of just kind of like just kind of wheeling and dealing really lightly, not being too like you know. I, I've got this leverage over you because trade wise you don't. And the goal yeah. I think here is to get you to a position where your leverage is like a big giant hammer that you have. And now it's too late and you have all the leverage, but right. early on trade wise, you don't have that much leverage. So be, so be nice, kind of massage the deals and stuff. Yes, definitely. Uh, let's talk about warfare. Warfare is where things get a little bit weird. Um, it's very much dependent on your slice, how you need to go about doing this. We're obviously going to do the secondary of technology still. Uh, and we have the option to build at home, but we have kind of a weird way to think about what we want to do with the rest of our units. Mm -hmm. um, I guess there's a world where you could try to get trade goods, but I'm not relying on that too much right now. Um, I think the main strategy to do with warfare is for like your first action to be to move everything out what we call north. Usually, hopefully, there's a planet directly in front of your home system on the way to Mechatol Rex. If you move your Dreadnought and Carrier and all three ground forces and whatever else you want to take to that spot, your second action, you can pull the Warfare token and then spread out from there. Um, this eliminates the need of relying on any sort of timing with technology um, because you're going to get to anywhere you want to go anyways. And yes, it doesn't stall out warfare in a way that hurts other players, but you've got the stuff you need to get out there and move everywhere else. So basically you pull the token and then you spread out wherever you want to go. You take the system adjacent to Mechatol or you take an Equidistant or maybe you have Gravity Drive and you do want to go take something crazy. I don't recommend that, but it is an option. Um, your other option is to, um, you know, you could always do the double move of a single carrier, move the Dread somewhere else, whatever. Um, but more importantly, you could build it home right away and get more ground forces at home, and then pull that token, then expand out with more ground forces while also leaving a couple at home. Building four more ground forces at home using Renterra means you leave two at home, and the carrier that expands with normally just two ground forces gets to expand with four ground forces, and when it moves again next round, it gets to leave two ground forces behind and and still go take two more planets, which is typically something that's really tough with Barony expanding in round two, is they are usually, if they're trying to take even more planets, they're probably leaving planets completely empty behind them. So the ability to just get two ground forces down on the ground immediately and get them out into your slice is uh, very lucrative. Yeah, um, I, I feel like these two approaches kind of, I mean, they're not completely dependent on whether you're planning on the forward dock or the double dock, but I do feel like one is kind of obviously leaning towards, hey, let's get a good forward dock space. So it just kind of yeah. depends on how how do you want to do that. You know what's interesting about it, though, too, is with the double dock, it still works with it. You're, you're not probably... You have an extra command counter, right? You're not doing right. the secondary of warfare. There's a world here where you build at home. Mm -hmm. uh, let's let's put it in context of the construction player. The construction player moves out. You activate your home system. Second round, your home system is activated. Oh, I see what you're construction saying. Construction pops construction. You drop your second space dock at home. Then on your turn that immediately follows construction, you 
pull the warfare token, you didn't use the double dock this round, but you got your double dock at home immediately. Right. right. That's kind of a fun little useful thing to get out of the way with that extra command counter. Yeah, yeah. Have. I mean, I I think in a way that's sort of, that's I was just kind of talking about the other one more. Like oh, the, for sure. The, the, in the other direction, it's like, all right, I'm gonna get out. I'm gonna go north. And then I'm going to get out to an equidistant, which was, which I'd assume is because you want to put a forward dock there. Yeah, I mean, it, you, you can look at it the exact same way, too. If if you did move north first with everything and took, let's say, Bear to 4 is adjacent to your home system. What yeah. a perfect opportunity to get that forward dock on, like, the best right. planet you possibly right. could. Right. Um, you, you do the same thing. Move out, and then construction pops while your system is activated, and then you pull it after you've already placed the space dock. It's, right. it's really a perfect timing for that. I, I gotta um, say that there's so much heat for the double docking uh, at home uh, for Barony, which I am not against, but because of how great the flagship is, I always love having a forward dock for just absolutely. getting a flagship out quickly. Yeah. Like, that is always so important. And, and just in general, just having a forward dock is critical. And the bigger thing to think about, and I think we'll talk about this more later, but if you have Barragler to 4 or Abyss Freya in your slice... You don't need, that's only one less production capacity than your home system, which is great. So you should double dock those systems instead if mm -hmm. they're in your pie slice. Mm -hmm. If you get either of those two, I would almost say 100% of the time, ignore double docking at home because you can double dock that system for more value. Right, right. Got it. It, and what a crazy slice you would have. Yeah, though. right? Like, re resource <laughs> You start wise. the game with $11 plus whatever other planets are in your slice. <laughs> That's, That's disgusting. That's so insane. Uh, do we want to get on down to tech? Yes, because tech is, tech, tech is the most... Tech is where everything goes completely insane, and we yeah. can't even cover every possible scenario. Right. Um, but I think, in general, the idea is you are doing tech as your first action. Probably almost in every situation. Yeah. Um, there's an argument for move out first so that you can build a dock wherever you moved out to. Because again, since you're not doing the secondary of technology, you have an extra command counter. And if you can get the forward dock out there, that's great. But that's that's more specific and maybe that, not something and, that And will it's come also up. assuming that whoever has construction is going after a forward dock as well and didn't just use it first thing, you know? Yeah, yeah, which, yeah, whatever. Um, so um, the, the first decision you have to make with tech is you are like the only faction in the game that if you pop tech first, you can buy two tech. Right. Uh, you have $6 from the get-go. Um, so do you do that? Do you buy two tech? And I think generally I'm actually going to say no. I don't think it's worth it because what you've done instead by taking tech is you've saved yourself $4. Now you get to build a ton of stuff. The only thing you really need right away is gravity drive. And since you're getting that for free, you're not going to get any value at a carrier two mm -hmm. round one. Mm -hmm. You're not really going to get much value at a Sarween tools. You'll get a you'll, you'll get the dollar value at a Sarween tools, but it's not super worth it compared to getting six dollars to build stuff round one. Right. That is way more valuable um, than double teching. Yeah. So I, I think it's a lot better to just build a lot and maybe potentially expand even more. This is another situation where you could take five planets maybe uh because right. if you if the warfare uh secondary happens at the right time you definitely have the money to get another carrier and two more infantry and get it out there yeah and i mean this isn't i don't know i if if you're rolling your eyes because it's like in in this way we're sort of making the tech strategy card is just end up it's just like four resources basically that's all it is yeah. but the thing is you're getting to ensure that 
tech is happening in such a way that is really used. The idea of just like, I get to move out with Gravity Drive right away and have all of the options that that affords me without having to wait on tech. No one got yep. to try and stall me out of tech. Yep. Um, you know, and I, I don't know, there might be even a world where you decide that you want to stall tech because you have, you don't need the gravity drive right away, whatever. Right. Um, but I just think this is the safest play basically. Yeah. I, and I it, feel like a lot of factions like tech is the best get round one, but definitely barony. I feel yeah. like it's true. Yeah. I, I think it's solidly the best. I like the arguments we made for leadership. Uh, yeah. But tech just feels really juicy. Uh, if you were going to double tech, here's what you should be considering why you do that. If you start with one or even both tech objectives, if you start with two upgrades and two and two colors as your first two objectives, yeah, double teching right away is probably a of good course, idea. Because course. you've got so much tech you have to get. That's obviously an incredibly rare situation. But even if there's one of them, maybe you start to consider it. Um, I would not get... Gravity Drive and Majin round one just to qualify for two and two colors, right? Yeah. That's that's not worth it. You're going to get the tech later. If anything, the way to think about tech objectives is once you get that tech, that's a, that's a banked objective that you can't be stopped on getting. So it's not like you ever have to rush to get tech objectives. You just have to make sure you qualify for them so that at some point you get that point. Right. Um, the, the only other thing I would say is like if you know you have the yellow skip in your slice, it can be useful to get gravity drive and sarween tools round one mm -hmm. so that you can get transit diodes round two and start getting your ground forces into way more useful positions because that can be the hard thing of round two or maybe round three is like ah my ground forces aren't in the right spot to do the things i want to do with right, them right um this is one way to kind of help yourself but it requires a yellow skip uh, to do it. I really like that point actually, because what's interesting about if you double tech, then it's like, all right, we're not getting, we're probably not getting any more plastic out, but if transit diodes is where you end up, well, now we can more efficiently get cheap, yeah. uh, cheap plastic out onto the, onto the board in like a very reliable way. Um, yeah. so I feel like it pairs really well with a double docked approach as well, because transit and double docking is perfect. Basically I'm throwing yeah. out lots of ground forces on my home system and moving them around very efficiently. Yeah. The last thing, and we're actually only going to tease it right now. Um, but it's a play that I'm going to now dub the cheesy bread, uh, because <laughs> it was submitted to us by Imsen and uh we're gonna save it for the end but suffice to say there's an option for if you double tech from gravity drive into fleet logistics uh and there's an incredibly specific play that you can do that is freaking awesome it's uh, really <laughs> what a it's a really really good theory crafted play that gets away from we get so many of these that are like we read them and like, well, that's crazy, but it's magic Christmas land. And I, what's impressive to me about this isn't that. <laughs> this yeah. is like just a really good idea that yep. it admittedly isn't the easiest thing to pull off, but it's not so wild that it seems no. impossible. Basically. Well, literally, the only thing it requires is for you to get technology first. Yep. Yep. Like yep. That's, yep. that's yep. the only thing that's required for this play. Uh, and it's amazing. So that's going to be towards the end of the show. That's going to be in the in the errata segment. We're going to let uh, uh, Imson's words speak for himself. But fleet logistics is another option with technology. Yeah. Um, uh, and also just a little note, real, like kind of outside of the bounds of the episode. Uh, 
send us more stuff. Like, send us your freaking manifesto on these factions as we yeah. do them because they uh, are they are great. magi sent us a necro manifesto oh yeah that's sent definitely us a barony make, yeah. manifesto yeah. like these yeah. these like if you specialize we've been talking about this in the discord a lot if you specialize in a faction uh start writing down your stuff and we especially want to have like we would love to have a game where it's like the six people super noteworthy with one specific faction playing that faction against oh, each other. Oh, that's a great idea. Um, oh, another idea. shout out, Smilingo. He didn't he didn't send it to us, but he posted it on uh, subreddit. Did an Arborek, um, you know, deep dive, and it's also amazing. And what a faction to do it with, um, right? Because Arborek could certainly stand to have the help. So, anyways, okay, whoa, whoa, back on topic. Let's talk about round two. Oh well, uh, wait, wait, we have to mention ooh. that don't oh. get Imperial. Now sure, we're done. Don't get imperial. Now we now can we're do done. Round <laughs> uh, all right, round two. We don't have as much specific to say as we did, like in our soul guide. And I don't really want to harp on things too much, but let's remember that you should look at uh, Mechatol Rex. Uh, yeah. it's round two. Uh, who knows how early in the speaker order you are? But check and see if there's a way that you can take Mechatol Rex uh, before somebody else does. Uh, can you get the custodian's token? Because mm-hmm. you got Gravity Drive round one almost definitely. So. You're in the realm of possibility of taking Mechatol Rex no matter where you sent your ships. Yeah. So yeah. keep that in mind and continue on with that strategy, right? Yeah. Uh, I, the I biggest mean, thing is this I would requires the, six influence. Right. And I would say the most likely, you know, if you took trade round one, if you took politics round one, I can yep. imagine that you probably have the influence. Otherwise, I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe play it safe. Even, even yep. if you just, like, let's say you just barely have the influence. I don't know. Like, be... I, I know there's a lot of talk about like there's there's and we will talk in the errata about um from the Canet Rex episode of like, oh, should I just send one carrier and one dude to right. take uh Mechatol Rex? I still am firmly in the camp of like that's that's too costly. However, Barony is a faction that can get there with an early uh dreadnought and back it up. So I mean, yeah. if if it works out for you and you got the right strategy card and you have enough money, go for it. Right, right. Yeah, if you can send a dreadnought and a destroyer and a ground force to go take Mechatol Rex, someone else might not be able to take that from you. Yeah, <laughs> you for a while. Out. Like, literally, that's that's a lot to get out there. Yeah. Um, but the more important thing is you probably want to... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep using the term, uh, like, take aggressive ground. I don't mean this in an overt, like, too aggressive sense. But I do mean, like, you have the range to take equidistance if you want, if it's a way that's not going to completely ruin a relationship with that neighbor. Right. Uh, you have the ability to really fill out your slice, and that's the main thing you want to do round two, is just get everything in your slice secured and ready to go. Um, wherever your space docks are, if you got a forward dock round one, or if they're both at home, or if there's just one, you definitely want to build out of all of your space docks. Um, especially if there's two, though, it's very useful to get you units on both of those space docks and really fill out your slice our goal with barony aletnev is to never have one huge super fleet like sar it's to have a decent sized scary fleet everywhere that we are and and i would also say you're you're gonna have to be ready to start looking at your tech path and kind of i don't know it's kind of weird to say especially considering uh like the last time we talked about the barony of aletnev the way we wrote the episode was like you could go in a million directions at once but this is more this guide is more about committing to a particular path, right? Yeah, like right. what what are you going after? Um, yeah. and and I like all of our tech paths. Our goal with these new episodes is for the tech paths to be very considered and steady, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, this round, you're almost definitely getting Sarween tools, but there's an argument to get Carrier Two, depending on what is able for you to get. 
Um, but this is part of that commitment to a tech path. Uh, there's a world where you try to research Majin. I don't advise it. There's a world where you have a red skip and you skip to get uh, NES right now. Don't do that because that uh, command counter, that it, it, any red tech skip is worth a command counter. And you want the command counter right now more than you want to skip to non-Euclidean shielding. You right. don't need NES this early. Right. So really your only options are Sarween tools or Carrier 2. Um, so let's talk about how how can this go wrong? What are some of the problems that you could run into in the early game, basically? Uh, this is already where things uh, in the meta start to go south for you because you, you have this advantage that you really should be capitalizing on. You have fast, strong fleets that should be out taking planets. It's a waste of your time to just sit meekly in your own slice doing nothing. Right. Um, so you want to take equidistant systems or, or things like that. Um, but that means people don't like what you're doing and they're already getting mad at you. So people are already starting to get nervous about trading with you. Um, it's not like Barony has this problem. Uh, Soul has the problem where everyone looks at them and goes, ah, we, we got to hurt them. We need to do something about Soul. Barony doesn't have that. They don't have a target on their back, but they do have a warning sign on their face. Right. They have a caution, a big caution tape around their forehead where people go, I could deal with Barony, but they're already kind of powerful, and if I deal with them, it's just giving them more stuff, and they already look like they have a lot of stuff. So I'm just going to take my deal somewhere else and right. go work with somebody else where I can get more out of them, maybe. And it's kind of beautiful, though, in the way that they need the money. Like, it's weird. Yeah. They start with so much money, but they need more to even yeah. make this all work. So the right. fact that you sort of need to trade, but there are a lot of reasons for people to not trade with you uh it's it's kind of beautifully designed as far as like how people end up treating the barony um it's kind of it's interesting because there's a lot of factions that are i would say a lot better in the early game than barony um like sar and soul are both really good examples um but the thing is if you wanted to stop an early game sar or soul that's a lot of commitment on your like on on your behalf like you're going to have to specifically make some choices to stop that other player. Yeah. The only the way that you can slow down a barony is to kind of just not be not play along. It doesn't right. take that much commitment from you to sort of slow them down basically. Yep. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think that's why it happens so frequently. Yeah. The second big problem you probably have, and we covered this before, is you have an infantry problem. You moved out with infantry. You want to keep expanding, but that means you're probably leaving the planets you took completely empty. So what? Are you going to send another fleet forward just to refill out that system? It gets really messy uh, because you only started with three infantry. Hopefully you are able to build more round one, but it just gets really, really awkward in how you maneuver around your slice. Mm -hmm. I would say be safer before you start to get crazy. This is something I don't follow my own advice all the time. And I go, you know what? This round, this time, I want to get carrier two and I want to go take the thing in front of Mechatol Rex in my neighbor's slice. And then I just completely ruin my relationship with them and I never get any, you know, goodwill for the rest of the game. You are probably better off just making sure every single thing in your slice works really, really well so that then when you go into round three, you just sort of have this like, unstoppable slice that you kind of get to do whatever you want and just aim at whatever objectives make the most sense. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's about smart aggression basically. And, 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 and knowing when to kind of pull back a little and not, you know, you don't want to play your hand too early. Basically the goal here is to score points 
and get to that sweet, sweet late game barony that's unstoppable. That's yes. what we want. You have the power to do early aggression, but you don't necessarily always need to do it. Yeah. But Let's you also sort about, of do. Like, that's the thing. Yeah, that's, yeah it's you need to do a, a little bit. You have to go... At some point, you're going to have to be aggressive as Barony. Right, you just right. are. That's the only way to capitalize on your strength. You're you a, have you're to a space, be aggressive. You're a space risk faction. But yep. just d- just walk that line of, like, we don't want the table to turn on us, basically. You can, get, you can anger one person, but if we're angering all five, that's a big issue. Yep. Yeah. Uh, let's start to get into this tech path we kind of keep teasing. I yeah. have no idea what we said about Barony in our tech paths episode, but I would imagine it's not too far off from this, but we have certainly I've certainly refined how I think about Barony tech paths. Yeah. I used to think it was all over the place and there's so many things you can do. Uh, I don't think that's true anymore. I think there's an exact right way to do it up to a point, and then you can go in any direction that you want. Right. But there's like a first four tech that you need to get you need to get four tech before you even think about doing anything different right so what are they what's the the standard our standard tech path gravity drive which we got round one uh then either sarween tools or carrier two probably sarween tools because the earlier you can get it the better Mm -hmm. Um, but every once in a while you need that carrier two to go somewhere Uh, so we, but then once we've gotten basically both of those, then we get Dreadnought 2. We don't really need Dreadnought 2 before we get Carrier 2, um, unless you're like being crazy aggressive, but honestly, you shouldn't be being that crazy aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, my ideal tech path is Gravity Drive, Starween Tools, Carrier 2, and then Dreadnought 2. Now, with this tech makeup, this tech path, the next tech we would probably want to get is PDS2, because now we officially qualify for uh three unit upgrades right and we have two blues one yellow one red we only need one more tech to get two and two colors um so if you're only worried about upgrades that's a great path to go but outside of that i don't recommend pds2 for any other reason it's just the cheapest way to get to three unit upgrades sure um that's the only time you will hear me recommend pds2 for barony aletnev right right um, uh, so what about if two and two colors comes out really early? Cause I noticed we don't have two and two colors in the standard path. Yeah. Um, you basically can choose between yellow or red and it really depends on what you plan on doing and what you have access to. Um, yellow tech obviously means either getting L4 disruptors. You're not going to get graviton with barony. It's a waste of your time. Right. Um, or you're going to skip to transit diodes. Skipping to transit diodes is always going to be good. If you have the yellow skip, Go for it. Get Sarween tools and then skip to transit diodes. That's your two and two colors. If you have the red skip, go for it. Skip to non-Euclidean shielding. Now you have two blue, two red. Either of those are great, but you don't necessarily want Majin. If you need to get two and two colors, you're going to hold off on getting Majin until late in the game. Unless yeah. there's like a random round where you have no other viable uh, point to get. That's the only time you like, okay, time to get Majin because I can't qualify for any other objective except for the tech one and I need to make sure I'm scoring this round. Yeah, That's when I, you get Majin early. I lean yellow though. I think I think oh, the absolutely. yellow makes way more sense. Um, yeah. Alright, what about uh, two upgrades comes out really? I mean, I guess we sort of already have we, that. We sort of covered path. that. Two upgrades and then even into three upgrades, you're pretty much covered um, because you're getting Carrier 2 and Dreadnought 2 and you you have access to PDS 2. But there's a few other upgrades that we can get depending on if we have convenient skips. Yeah. Um, and even without the skips, there's worlds where we go for it anyways. Um, but let's talk about it in terms of if we have specific skips. If we have a red skip, 
we just unlocked non-Euclidean shielding, and by virtue of getting a second red, we can get Destroyer 2 instead. I love Destroyer 2 with Barony. If yeah. anything, getting a red skip is like the most important thing you can do as Barony. I, it's, it sucks to have to go through Majin to then get Destroyer 2 and then get non-Euclidean. That's not fun or useful. Um, it's too slow. But being able to skip to non-Euclidean, having super-powered Dreadnoughts, having a super-powered flagship, and then having Destroyer choose to protect you from other people's um, fighter screens is really useful. And ad in addition to that, your Destroyer 2s are protecting you against an X-Chaz Graviton laser systems. Uh, you know, instead of burning fighters you can burn destroyers and more importantly like if you in the late game have extra fleet supply because you're you're starting to rebuild back up into that big barony fleet destroyer twos are a really good way to fill that out i honestly played a game where i built basically one destroyer every time i did a build i did a one destroyer and two ground forces and then whatever else i wanted to build but i had two dollars allocated to that every single time i built and it worked out great for me at the very least you're sending destroyers out just to gum up the works just to keep people right. from being able to have easy access to your slice having destroyers is useful and having destroyer twos makes that an even more worthwhile investment right it also i mean i think the the number one counter to um well there's no real counter to like a late game barony that's like set up properly but an earlier game uh barony i feel like the counter is fighter swarms right so yep, destroyer definitely. two is gonna is gonna uh you know stamp that out essentially yeah it's let's talk about really... uh let's talk about yellow skip yeah yellow skip is we sort of covered it earlier uh but there's actually two directions you can go with the yellow skip we talked about the transit diodes and sort of fixing your infantry problem mm -hmm. and i do i do love that um but there's actually two different ways to think about it because the other thing you could skip directly to is space dock two this is this is what you do when two and two colors doesn't come out right i don't need a second yellow i don't need a second red when right. i can get another upgrade instead of pds2 i can get space dock two now my original thinking with space dock two was oh it seems like a great tech to get as barony Aletnev. my home system i can turn into a 14 production capacity home system that's insane yeah uh it is insane in fact, it's too much. You don't need it. I never built 14 units, not even once. Uh, and I, I had Space Dock 2 for like multiple rounds. It's just not worth it. 10 is enough. And if anything, Space Dock 2 is not used for when you double dock home. Space Dock 2 is used for when you spread out your Space Docks everywhere, which is a totally viable play and a very smart thing to do. If you put a space dock on a biz and then you put a space dog on just like something like Saudor or whatever, you have three space docks and three separate systems. But every time you build out of one of those space docks, you can still build a decent amount of stuff because space dock two is four plus the value of the planet. Yeah, uh, I I really like the that so far. It seems like there's a huge distinction between there's the barony with the double docked at home and then there's the barony that chooses the forward dock. Space yeah. dock 2 is clearly for that barony and transit diodes is clearly for a double docked at home. Right. Right. If you have you the double need, dock at home, you can build both just is too much. That's that's the you're now doing too much of the same thing essentially. Right. You are, but it, it is worth noting that the double dock at home lets you build just a a boatload of ground forces but then it takes you multiple rounds to transit diodes them yep. out so even then it's still kind of a messy slow system um it's not really you know necessary right um, that's right. that's why you definitely don't need space dock too so transit diodes is enough with even just 10 production capacity yeah uh next up is your green skip possibility uh people really want to talk about um fighter two with yeah. Barony Aletnev. Yeah, what's and up with that? We're not really talking about that too much. It's, it is kind of viable, and it makes some sense, 
But at the end of the day, I just don't, it's not something I want to go for early. All the other things gel together too well. Getting Carrier 2 and getting Dread 2, having fighters is kind of enough. With Carrier 2, I have six capacity. I can still carry four fighters. Um, having the, the fighters that can move on their own has its uses, but is not critical. It doesn't really do anything extra for you. Um, so I only go this route if I have the green skip. If I don't have the green skip, it is absolutely not worth getting Fighter 2. Um, Neural Motivator is a great tech, and I love getting it with basically any faction, but I think there's too many things you want to do. I think the biggest thing is this accounts... Th this comes down to any faction can really only plan on getting four or five tech uh, in a game. Right. Anything more than five tech is like, well, you're that's that's meaning you're getting, you know to take tech way more often or like lucking into way more tech or like spending the money when you didn't necessarily need to or whatever. Like it's just a lot of tech to get six or more. Um, so to say you're going to get grav drive, Sarween tools, neural motivator, carrier two, dread two, fighter two. It's like it, it that becomes too much to right. be a reliable strategy. Right. And also rushing for fighter two means you're putting off all of these other things. So now you have two movement fighters, but you don't have two movement carriers or dreadnoughts, which means when you're moving a carrier, it's moving by itself with gravity drive and then just surrounded by fighters. And that's not a reliable fleet. It's too easy to take out fighter screens or it's too easy to graviton the carrier or whatever. It's too it's too easy to knock out a single carrier when it's surrounded by fighters. You need a little bit more oomph to that. And the way to get more oomph is to have carrier twos, dreadnought twos, and some fighters that go along. Mm -hmm. I also I kind of feel like the what I like about this point is that I feel like throwing fighter two into the mix uh, means that you're not going to get any of the like kind of deep down stuff like the like I feel like if you're throwing fighter two in the mix, then that's another thing in between you and non Euclidean shielding. Yeah. And I yep. feel like the best plan that that really is here that you can't just like go for automatically, but hopefully you, you get to do essentially our standard approach and then a red skip into non-Euclidean shielding yeah. for your, for your late game stuff. Yeah. And I feel like that's going to win you more games than any of these other options, basically. Definitely. Yeah. It's the strongest situation that you're going to be in um, to have that non-Euclidean shielding. If right. the three unit upgrades comes up and then you need destroyer two, we're in that same situation of that yeah. actually cost us six uh, tech, but you have the strongest fleets you can possibly have with yeah. that setup. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think that's kind of, it's a little, it's almost magic Christmas land to like plan yeah. for it, but it will happen sometimes. And those games are, I think the ones that you're really, you're going to win the hardest basically. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the last skip to talk about is blue skip and we're now done talking about it. Uh, yeah, you don't need it. Uh, you started with the blue. You, you started with the only tech you would skip. Um, I don't really see a reason to skip fleet logistics to then get light wave deflector. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, if you really, really, really need light wave, like right away, okay, get, skip it, but you're probably going to come back around to fleet logistics. That's kind of true. So many times too. There's so many yeah. factions that we talk about where it's like, you don't really need to skip fleet logistics to get light wave. But maybe you do in a maybe random the situation, situation arises. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. That's the thing um, about light wave. Bl blue skips are always the the least useful um, unless you don't start with anti mass. Right. right. That's the only time a blue skip is useful, and you've got that covered. Um, right. Okay. Let's dive into uh, kind of trading a little bit. We talked sort of about how you're bad at it. Um, so let's kind of re-hit some of the points that are important with how you need to be thinking about trading throughout the whole game. Mm -hmm. uh, the big thing that we covered is you should really only expect to get money 
when you take trade for yourself, which also sort of means trade is a pretty good strategy card for you to take pretty often. It's right. going to keep you in everybody's good graces, and it's really the only way you can kind of get extra money you start with more money than other people but by the mid game everybody's kind of catching up to you in income they're finding other ways they're moving their commodities around they're getting even amounts of money with you mm -hmm. and they're turning theirs into trade goods which they're banking and getting almost more use out of than you are right so you want to find a way to get trade goods you should take trade pretty often yeah i i i always really like a barony that is going is trying to plug that hole because that is that is a big hole that they have is that they just they don't have a good uh trade foot uh so if you're taking trade frequently you're kind of fixing that i think uh war funding we've kind of already talked about yeah uh, as far as when you should use it and whenever it's useful and it's it's kind of yeah it's kind of an odd duck, um, yeah. but I think the only the other, only thing we haven't really covered is what to do with your support for the throne. What kind of faction right. is barony when it comes to support trades and support yeah. swaps? Well, let's get this caveat out of the way, which is just to say Hunter and I work from a meta where you are better off getting your support for the throne out early because everybody's going to do support for the throne swaps. Yeah. So you don't want to be the last person to do the support for the throne swap. Definitely there are not. plenty of metas that don't swap support for the thrones. They hate it and they don't do it. And, and so this advice is going to fall on deaf ears and that's fine. But if you're in a meta that support for the, by the end game, everybody has done a support for the throne swap. It is not good to be the last person to do that. So you might as well make a plan and get your support for the throne out there as fast as possible. Yeah. Uh, so what do we do with that? Uh, there's sort of two main points to bring up with Barony's support for the throne. The The biggest one is your support for the throne is sort of worth more than other people's support for the throne right. because you're the big, scary fleet faction. Everyone's afraid of you. If you can make one person not afraid of you and willing to deal with you and happy to fund you so that you go attack other people on behalf of them, mm -hmm. what a great plan that you've just set up. What a great little thing. You are someone else's monkey, but hopefully you are building enough that you actually get to beat them in the race to 10 points right yeah so you i feel like that's a good reason to maybe uh go early when it comes to support swaps because yep. you don't want to look too because if you get to a point where you look too scary because you've been having too good of a game people might not want to swap with you at that point Very they true. might be more keen to swap with other people um but if you're kind of proposing an early game swap and somebody's looking at you being like, all right, my... And I feel like this applies mostly to neighbors. I don't know that it applies to anybody across the table from you so much. But neighbors are going to look at you and be like, well, I'm sitting next to a barony, so I kind of know what to expect. I might get some mid-game aggression. And yeah. if you propose the support swap, essentially what's that saying is that you're not going to do that. Um, yeah. I like the idea of doing that swap so that I can be very aggressive towards my other neighbor. Right. Now, I know, Matt, you don't quite feel the exact same way, Well, um, but that's kind we, of my logic to it. We had a big argument <laughs> about this, basically, <laughs> right. uh, a big disagreement in talking about this. But I, I, I think I really want to accept your, more, your point more than I want to push my own. Mine was to say, and it's almost more just that I know other people are going to recommend this as well, because I know there's lots of people out there that play about as aggressive as I do. Mm -hmm. um, and the idea is, let me give my support for the throne out to someone adjacent to my neighbor, the neighbor of my neighbor, so that I can, we can pincer that person between us together, right? Oh, we can crush the person in between us if the two of us are working together, maybe. Right, right. But I think, Hunter, that you 
showed me that it is not as valuable because all you're doing when you do that is still leaving your other flank open. If you're deciding to push into someone, even if it's with somebody else, you're leaving one side exposed. So as Barony, someone who needs aggression to succeed, someone who needs to push others around, you need to make sure your other side is protected, which means, yes, you do need to get your support for the throne to your neighbor on the left before you attack your neighbor on the right. Right. Um, I think I think the idea of the pincer thing, though, is I think there are times where that gamble is going to pay off. I just think the steadier play is yeah. to swap with one neighbor so that you can be so that you can ruin the other. Basically, absolutely. You're 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 barony. You're you're good at fighting, um, but no one is good at fighting the whole table, which is likely what might happen if you're yep. having a good game, basically. Um, so I think just having that one neighbor that you don't have to worry about is always worth it when I'm playing a really aggressive race. Now, if I'm playing a non-aggressive, like if I'm playing Hakan, I can be a little more, I can be weirder with my support. Yeah. Um, but I, I like thinking this way with Barony. I kind of also like it the same way with L1 as well. For sure, yeah. Um, okay, let's uh, dig a little bit more into this this mid-game thing we kind of keep building up to, which is to get a little bit more into the double dock versus the spread out docks. We've, yeah. we've I think we've really covered it, so we're going to kind of hit this pretty lightly. Um, but I want to really make the case again for what you're doing when you choose to double dock your home right away. Right. There's a big downside here. Your, your home system is far away from everything else you can be doing. Uh, and this is why we call it something you're going to be doing aggressively early because eventually you need to fall back home. Because when you double dock your home system, like it's really hard to keep funneling things out. So those first things that you send out need to just go and go and go and go and go find things because everything else is going to get built up at home. Right. And when you double dock your home system, you should basically never lose your home system, which yeah. means from the get go, all your other stuff, like maybe it doesn't get protected as well, but you're taking like really specific traits that you need. The reason you're getting aggressive is to take control objectives, right? to take uh, six planets and other systems, to take four planets of the same trait, to take three planets of the same, or of the three technology specialties, things like that. You want to get that stuff out of the way really fast because you have early strengths. So you score those points as fast as possible, even if it means you make some enemies. Then once you've already scored them, you pull back, you've already built a bunch of new stuff out of your home system, it's kind of filling out the rest of your slice, and you sit on your coffers, and you score economic objectives. Almost every single other objective in the game is really easy for Barony to score. Right. You have no problem scoring uh, eight resources. You have no problem... Uh, you, you, you know, one take of the trade strategy card means you can get five trade goods. All sorts of things like that. You know, getting tech is easy for you. You can do all of those objectives. All you have to do is sit and let them come. Right. Uh, so the best thing you can do with the double docked home is to get out there and take those planets right away. I'm going to say this, though. I think for the double docked home to really work reliably, you're going to need the custodian's point or something like that. Probably. We, I we mean, need, that's, that's we the idea. We need to get those, those points outside of circulation so yep. that we are ahead of everybody else. It's a very, yeah. like, win from ahead style. Absolutely. That, and I, you're looking for points wherever you can get them. Yeah. I actually, on a theory level, don't like it near as much because I feel like the kind of Achilles heel of this one is we're talking about being really aggressive, but this is the style that you're going to have trouble getting the Arc Secundus out there, yep. which is your number one 
your it's your big it's your best tool that you have well, for being a mean mean boy yeah. basically well, and here's the other big drawback of this strategy is you're kind of relying on coasting to victory yeah which means then it turns into a situation where you have to go hurt the other people who are trying to beat you to victory you know the sneaky fa- the uh, sorrels that are going to do really crazy yeah. stuff yeah you have to just go hurt them and not know what their plan is, but just like, I just have to go jump on Asaro's home system with all my stuff because I don't know what they're going to do. And as long as I get to score in the status phase, then I'll win. But I have to stop everybody else first. That's the kind of situation that this fact- this version runs into all the time. Yep. Yep. <clears throat> I think it just kind of comes down to the, the double docked home system is sort of you basically saying like, all right, I'm betting everything on myself right now. Yep. And, and less like, you know, it, you kind of need to see the path to your victory pretty early, I think, for the double dock to work. Yeah. Um, I feel like the second approach we're going to lie out where you have a forward dock or a spread out dock, really. It, it yeah. could even be that you've double docked, but it's just at a different spot. Um, yeah. I feel like is the more like, okay, I don't necessarily know what's going to happen in this game. I don't have a clear path forward. So this is my kind of slow and steady wins the race style, yeah. I feel like. Well, and more importantly, what it allows you to do is you are steadily building, you're not making enemies, you're getting bigger and bigger fleets, and then when it's time to score sneaky points, you are actually in sort of a position to do so with fleets that are scary enough that they can't really take that ability away from you. Right. Um, you, you've you've kept friends all game, and then suddenly you're turning on them to get the last stuff you need, and your home system and like the rest of your slice is still pretty decently defended. It's not as defended as your double docked home would have been, but now your whole slice is in pretty good shape because you've been building out in the middle of the map and then spreading that out, which means you probably gummed up the works more. You, you you've just filled everything out more, which generally protects you better than just leaning into i hope my home system doesn't get taken i'm gonna build as much stuff as i possibly can there right yeah i i feel like a lot of barony comes down to like we what we want to happen is by the time it's it's time to fight we just have already won economically we already have won the plastic game before it really heats up you don't want to get caught with your pants down basically you don't want to you don't want the fighting to start before you've gotten your kind of war machine going yeah Um, your your abilities and the way that you probably need to be playing make you an enemy and so you need to be precise about when you decide to be the enemy you need to be you need to have built up and have everything protected i mean it's sort of it's really the play the way anyone should play right barony is sort of a vanilla faction plus yeah. Just just a little plus two, not right. even that much, but they're just slightly better at doing everything you should do anyways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's all about controlled aggression, like and not, you know, I feel like a lot of Twilight Imperium, the more we play it, is understanding this relationship of there's an ecosystem that all the players are in together, um, and you're trying to come out on top of that ecosystem, but... If you get too greedy, the entire system is going to turn against you, basically. All five players will stamp you out, and no one can really nail that, basically. right. Um, Honestly, except for Barony, if you've done everything perfectly. I do feel like it's it's odd that we're making this point, because Barony, if you have everything set up correctly, if you have NES, if you have the Arc Secundus out there, if you have enough Dreadnoughts, 
I have seen I have never seen those fleets ever really lose a fight, basically. Right. It's it's right. very, very hard. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the the big thing is there's nothing fancy about Barony Aletnev in in actuality, in the in the practical nature of them, there's just nothing fancy. Right. Um, but you do everything a little bit easier. You score objectives easier. So all of this comes down to you have to just like protect your investment because as long as you do that. You can coast into the victory. You can just, if you got everything set up just the right way and played it at just the right pace where you didn't go out too fast into a lead, but you were always in the pack, you'll have the most defensive and unstoppable final round. Um, you're, you're kind of the only faction in the whole game that can become unstoppable. Right. I, I'm not too afraid of saying that. I mean, I guess you could kind of argue Clan Asar because they literally can go into tiles that nobody else can go into. Sure. But even yeah, yeah. then, you can stop their ability to go do stuff. Barony, if you set everything up, those fleets can't be stopped. They can bombard and take any planets they want. They'll defend their home system. It's just like, it's it's got everything, except for it took a lot of really specific work to get to that point. Yeah. So so be specific whenever you are deciding to make an enemy, make an enemy. When you're deciding to make a friend, make a friend. This is not, you know, this is not a Hakan style faction. This isn't a, yep. I'm going to ambiguously just kind of, this is not a Schroeder used car salesman type. You this know what is, it's not? It's yeah. not a Matt faction at all. You know, I was going to say that and I didn't <laughs> want to be mean to you, but the more we talk about it, the more I'm like, yeah, dude, this is like, not your style no, at all. It's not my strengths at all. It's it's so hard for me to tap into this mindset. It's a really good experiment, and it's something that probably improves me as a player to like force myself to do this. But usually, what ends up happening is I only like half do it, and then I fail as Barony. Yeah, and that's why I was so upset to start this one. Was just because it's like it's not a faction that works well with me because my mentality at the game is wheel and deal and change the deals all the time and and always keep your head you know like be ready to do anything at any moment whereas like you're saying barony is like okay now i fight you and you will not be able to stop me. yeah and, if, and i don't work myself up to those points very right well. right if you if you are playing barony and you use the phrase to yourself let's risk it for the biscuit <laughs> you're probably not doing it right that's probably yeah, that's wrong that's that's, that's very not true. that's not barony <laughs> barony Barity is you just build up and up and up and sl and like I'm I'm taking this here aggressively, but I'm not too aggressive. Uh, I've made this person mad, but the other person likes me. It's it is uh, honestly it's uh, it's kind of World War Two ish. It's kind of like you know it's yeah. like it's like Hitler with like I'm gonna keep Russia happy and then go after the United Kingdom, and he only messed up when he decided That's oh I I. I I want to also make Russia upset. You that's know what I mean? Really, that's a really weird comparison, Hunter. You, you compared the Barony, what was it, to, right. to Nazi Germany? Yeah, so they don't that's really have anything. That's very weird. But, they don't so, have... but if you think about my support for the throne argument earlier, <laughs> it's almost the same thing. I know culturally, Barony have nothing in common with like Hitler. But if you think about it, in World War II, Hitler essentially support swapped with Russia so that they could then go after their other neighbor and when they really messed up is when they went back on that support swap. They'd kept the support swap for that one neighbor. They can really be aggressive to the other. Um, so I guess I would say don't take advice uh, from Hitler, especially when playing, <laughs> you know, this very, very Irish faction. Yes, very incredibly Irish. Yeah. Uh, 
I, I don't I don't know where that came from. The like the, really, the World War II connection. They it really it doesn't make any sense. They clearly they're clearly Irish. <laughs> uh, I'm really dying to get into this next point because we teased it earlier. I won't talk about cheesy bread. Uh, cheesy bread is now officially the strategy of if you got tech and you took fleet logistics round one. Why did you do that? This is this is basically going to be our only pre-errata. Uh, yeah. Everybody, uh, so many people contributed, and a lot of the points were th- reinforcing things we believed or helped shape what we thought, but it was coming from all different directions, and the way we're really thinking about this pre-errata stuff is that you have a counterpoint that yeah. is something that really doesn't gel with the rest of our guide, but is an equal thing, and it's just too much outside of the bounds of kind of like what our structure is, but it's still a really cool idea. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's I, what this pre-errata can, looks like. Can I like. thank some people real quick? I want to thank yes. some of the people that uh, that did contribute to the conversations. Uh, Japser uh, got some cool stuff uh, into the discussion. Root uh, had actually a very good point. Jim, uh, Magi had a really good point about destroyers that was like ended up being like exactly where we were at already. Yeah, um, yeah there, there was a lot of... Uh, I felt a good synergy this time of yeah. like, oh, people are talking about a lot of the stuff that makes sense to us. Um, John had some really good points that yeah. almost fell exactly in line with how we feel about uh, non-Euclidean shield- shielding and geranium. We didn't quite agree with some of his points about Fighter 2, um, but I just want to say lots of really good discussion. However, this cheesy bread thing we're about to lay out is <laughs> freaking buck wild. So without further ado, okay. Matt, take it away. All right, this is from Imsen. I believe fleet logistics, in combination with the best home system in the game and the diplomacy strategy card, it makes fleet logistics one of the best techs the barony can get, but even more so if you can get a hold of tech strategy card round one. I've been experimenting recently with gravity drive into fleet logistics as my very first action in the game. This usually gets me my forward base since I capture the forward system with fleet logistics right after playing tech. Just to be clear, that is a thing you can do. You play tech, you get fleet logistics, you are immediately granted the second action you're allowed to do, and then you expand out. So not only did you get gravity drive, but you then moved out to a forward system. Then the construction card holder usually moves out first before playing it. And then if construction is popped right away, uh, forget about it. But normally it's the second action, which means now you can get your space dock down. Uh, with fleet logistics, diplomacy then becomes a very good strategy card pick for you in round two in combination with your new forward base. You can do moves such as one, build at home or in your forward base, then fleet logistics and diplo your home system, as in to get the money back. Right. Uh, make, make $6 right back spend, and use it spend again the somewhere money, else. Instantly get it back. Yep. Uh, or number two, move out and capture a juicy system fleet logistics and diplo it right away not only do you get the money or the tech skips from it right away but you also keep anybody else from taking it you can be incredibly aggressive because there's no way they can do anything about it unless they have i guess warfare right Uh, number three move everything out of your forward base fleet logistics and then build back at that base right clear it out and build you never left anything empty you never left anything in danger uh most players will get the benefits of diplo being played later in this case but you need to defend the forward base so so three really amazing plays that all lead to this whole idea of further solidifying your slice getting things where you need it to be it really plays into every single direction we talked about in the guide right oh you could go out and be incredibly aggressive but then still lock it down and then build at home be safe somewhere else, uh, those sorts of things. Uh, 
depending on how you play it and if you choose all the right timings, the thing about fleet logistics early that we normally don't recommend it is it's like, it's not actually a benefit to get all of your actions out of the way. Usually it's like, oh, you want to stall to the end of the round right, and then right. do a bunch of stuff. But because you can like spend the money and then immediately get it back to then spend it again and it's more money than anybody else can do that with, uh, it, it just nets you so much more. The biggest thing too, our issue with Diplo round one is you're playing it too late, right? Other people are getting just as much money as you do. If you get it round two, you're going second, you're doing a thing and immediately flipping Diplo in some cases so that nobody else gets the benefit. That's the literally other like advantage. maybe one maybe one player can do it. Right. That's literally right. it. If if leadership popped, maybe someone gets their influence back. Uh, but in in general, if you're doing Diplo as your first action, that's like the most value you can possibly get out of a diplomacy play. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you're comboing it with having done a second thing as well. Uh, I love this. This is amazing. I did not get a chance to try it, but I'm absolutely doing it next time I play Barony. Right. Well, if I, if I get tech is, first, right? Yeah, exactly. That's, the, that's so the whole thing. That is the magic Christmas land part of it. Um, and, and I, I do feel like applying that term to this doesn't really make sense. Cause most of the time magic Christmas land is like, four steps and a well whole yeah there's there's of... too many requirements but this to me if you get you know i mean it's going to require you probably getting speaker or second pick basically you got to be first or second pick if you're going to get tech in the first round probably right. first pick right? right but if you get it then this should all work like there's yeah. no reason that this wouldn't work if you get it like this right. is and it's and it is this is so good this is yeah. like you are getting so far ahead yeah. With any of those three moves on round two, I think my favorite probably is number one, where you're building at home or your forward base and then diploing and getting the money right back. Because right. that's just like, you are getting so ahead on the plastic game, basically yeah. by an entire round. Yeah. You are in round three, round four level of plastic on the board, and everybody else is at round two. Forget yeah. about it. Like, that's crazy. Right. Yeah, it's it's twelve dollars instead of the six that already felt like a lot. Right. Yeah. It's it's an it's absolute madness. Uh, I will say the the other drawback to this, and it's not a big drawback. Again, tech objectives are something you can look at, and it's like I can score that later. I do not need to rush for a tech objective. Mm -hmm. But if there's like too many tech objectives coming out, you just invested in three blues before you went for any other like upgrades. That's a good uh, point. Or any other colors. So when you see those tech objectives. I'm not even going to tell you not to do it, but you absolutely have to keep that in mind that like now you need to go back and really focus on that tech objective because you don't want it to be like round four before you can at all qualify for a tech objective. That's not a great position to be in. I agree, though, but with with this level of plastic dominance, basically, yeah, yeah. you are going to get to have a swing round. I mean, like I and now, obviously, it's not guaranteed, but I think if you have gotten this far ahead on the plastic game, uh, if you're if you're smart you should be able to have a round three or four swing round and catch up. I yeah. think I think that's possible. Uh, Imson, thank you for this gift. Very it good. It is obviously, and you didn't you didn't propose it as a as what the guide should be. You proposed it exactly as what it is, which is one really amazing play that you can do that feeds into basically all the strengths the Barony can do. We could not build the guide around this idea because it only works when you get tech. Right. But if you get it, it is a solid approach to taking uh, all the same things you would do as Barony. Right. Um, so I absolutely love it. Thank you so much. That is like one of the best erratas maybe we've ever gotten. 
Yeah, very, very good. Um, I, I also am looking forward to, when we get to the Necro Guide, getting some of Magi's thoughts in oh, there. Oh, man, yeah. Uh, I, I would expect to see more of this. So also, like, you know, again, give us always give us your hot takes because we really appreciate them. I know we didn't get... I, you know, I tried to I tried to thank everybody that contributed to the discussion. Um, I think Imsen kind of just like crushed it so hard that it was yeah. like, all right, well, this is this is clearly got to be his. it. But yeah. we but we do have um, some other errata to yeah. talk about. We need to talk about um, some. You know, it's actually sad we haven't mentioned the Patreon tourney at all yet. We probably should have mentioned that at the at beginning. The top. Yeah, yeah. Well, here it is now. Uh, don't forget, last week we announced. The 2020 Patreon tournament. Uh, you, if you want to be a part of it, sign up for our Patreon right now. Uh, yeah. If you're a patron during the month of October or November, you'll be able to sign up. Uh, we'll have an actual form that goes out, maybe even before November. Uh, we, I think I kind of got some finishing touches on it the other day, but we'll send out this form so that people can sign up. We'll close the submissions basically the end of November, or yeah. if we get to 216 or... We'll extend it if we don't quite get to 216, but we're close. It's sort of a nebulous thing. But, like, generally speaking, if you're a patron in October or November, you can be in the tournament if you want to, and please sign up for it. Yeah. Uh, Let's talk about some of the errata from last week explaining things about the tournament. Uh, I got multiple questions about the draft uh, because I don't think we actually defined things super well. Mm -hmm. The biggest confusion was what's happening with the initial role for speaker. Um, And I want to be clear... Uh, and it's maybe even something I hadn't actually thought through before, but that first role for speaker is not actually already setting the speaker order. What, what we've now decided to kind of call it is setting a drafting order. So we roll, the first person in that order is going to get the speaker token, but we're going to do the draft in the order of the rolls. Oh, I see. Does that make uh, th- sense? That is slightly and, different than I feel like we were talking about before. Yeah. And and, and honestly, to be totally honest, that could change. Uh, we're going to talk about the map here in a second, too, which is also a that could change. But that's sort of what I was thinking with the drafting order. But it doesn't necessarily have to be that. M- maybe it is just speaker order. So I, I guess more importantly, let's get more errata. I want to hear more thoughts. Uh, I, what I really want is for people to play it and tell me how it feels to do it. Um, so try it in both versions and let me know which... Uh, kind of works better. well you know yeah i i think it has to make sense that way because you don't have seats yet so exactly like there's no there is no speaker order basically. right you haven't Does actually it... sat down so the, the idea is that you rolled for drafting order the speaker gets to ban a faction uh but then the rest of the drafting order takes place in its normal process so then the last in drafting order gets to pick a slice first and then you go around picking slices yeah yeah. And then the first in drafting order, not speaker order, but it does happen to be the speaker, gets to pick a faction. And you do that in drafting order, then everyone sits at the table, and you begin the game in speaker order with the first strategy phase. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, do you want to talk about the map? Yeah, the map is actually, uh, I'm not going to call it released, because it's a rough draft. Uh, we sort of talked about the idea of what the map was going to be, and we've started to put it out there. Uh, it's really important to me that this one gets tests on it. Uh, if, if the theme of last year's tournament was balanced maps, uh, so that we could kind of get an idea of just like how the factions really stack up against each other when everything is fair, uh, that was cool, but... TI is not actually a game of everything being fair. And even with as fair of uh, maps as I could possibly make, it still was never f- like 
perfectly even, right? You can't make right. a perfectly symmetrical map. No, so this year we're, we're leaning into some of that imbalance, but we don't want the imbalance to go crazy. So if you look at our map, first off, the map is specifically designed with the draft in mind. There are the, the, the slices get worse as you go around the table. Um, we talked about that last week. It's the, the map that I have out there is maybe kind of an extreme version of that. I think I went as far as I would go in that disparity between the best slice and the worst slice. Um, I really am asking people to play it with the draft. Tell me how the games go. Post on it on Reddit. Post on our Discord. Uh, there's a thread up on Board Game Geek that is uh, from me about this map as well. Uh, play it. Let me know how the game shook out because what I'm looking for is who was... Uh, first off, how did the draft go exactly? Like, in what mm -hmm. order were things picked? And then, in the end game, like, who had a shot at winning? Not necessarily even specifically who won, but who were those players where it was like, well, if they win, then that's great. If they don't win, then they win. If they don't win, then they win. If we can stop them, then they win. Like, you know, when you get, like, four people that could all win. Right. I want to know which slices they are, which factions they are, because all that helps to reinforce whether or not the idea that these different factors are balancing against each other we're leaning way more into a different kind of balance than symmetry it's not symmetry it's it's this other sort of like the goods outweigh the bads depending on how you look at it mm -hmm. so please 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 try the map and uh we probably will make changes uh, yeah because uh it's every day i think of new ideas of what we could do to just slightly tweak it we may even change the way the draft works i don't know and feel, feel free to submit your own draft yourself, like propose changes, whatever. Yeah. Strategist, I want to go ahead and uh, thank Strategist for already doing their own draft of it. Uh, some changes about it we like, some some we don't because of the goals that we have with the yeah, map yeah. itself. There's a lot of weird things going on on the map that like are kind of half in my head and half obvious and otherwise. But regardless, just take a stab at it. And at the very least, we might see something in your idea that we go, oh, I like that better, and we can find a way to incorporate it into our map. So we'll take anything we can get, basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Totally. I'm, I am, God, I'm so excited to be on the road to another tournament. Um, let's do some errata for our Can It Rex episode, which we sort of forgot to do, but we actually got <laughs> some pretty good, some pretty yeah. good stuff on it. Um, a lot of people, their response to the Can It Rex episode was to do. Pretty ridiculous tier list, <laughs> which I can't fault them for because that's yeah. our bread and butter. That's our thing. <laughs> but it's nice that we're not the only ones in this world that just likes to do a silly tier list about everything, <laughs> basically. Um, there's a really good kind of uh, simplified, uh, it's not even really a tier list, but just kind of a simplified list of factions um, that Jolnar Binks made. Yeah. Um, they essentially proposed instead of a yes, they can or no, they can't model for taking Mechatol Rex, I would have separated the factions into Mechatol Racers, Mechatol Takers, and Mechatol Holders, um, which I love if you don't kind of already get that idea. It's just like the racers are the people that can get there real fast. The holders are the ones that once they get there, they could keep it. And then the takers are the ones that can just kind of pop in and take it from somebody else. Um I, maybe takers should be... I, we really like the term uprooters. Yeah, right. We use that a lot. Yeah, um, and we originally, I think, kind of coined that in the first Barony episode. But anyways, the racers, uh, Jolnar Binks listed as Hakan, Barony, Sol, Sar, Nalu, Mentak, Ghosts, and Jolnar. Um, the kind of common thread there being uh, that they all either start with blues or in the case of Mentak, can get to Cruiser 2 pretty reliably. 
Yeah. Um, and Nalu's on that list purely because they definitely go first. So in a situation where they uh, like got warfare yeah. round one yeah. or whatever, like they're definitely going before anybody else, which means they can definitely take it. Uh, that's not the main reason they're they're thrown on that racers list. Yes, exactly. Um, for the holders, we've got Sol, Sar, Arborek, Yin, Winu, Extra, and Sardak. Um, the only one I would maybe push back a little bit on is Extra because I almost feel like Extra should have their own classification, <laughs> right? Like, as like a because their relationship to Mechatol Rex with the flagship, I feel like, is unique and that. Yeah. They can more kind of hoard over it, yeah, and it's deterrent. less about keeping it. I don't know. I just feel like when you park the flagship on Mechatol Rex, that's too much heat, in my yeah. opinion. I mean, people it's a great will, people flagship. People will take that gamble. People will take the gamble of, if well, if I can kill the flagship, not only did I kill the extra flagship, but I take Mechatol Rex as well. Whereas if it's just parked next to Mechatol Rex, it's like, well... I don't want to attack Mechatol Rex because I'll lose. Right. And I don't want to attack the flagship because what's underneath the flagship actually isn't that valuable. Right. So, like, the, that's the best spot you can be in. It's like, well, neither is a good option. Guess I'll just go away. Right. Um, and then for the last classification, we've got the, the Mechatol Takers, which is Barony, L1Z1X, Muat, Sar, Sardak, Yin, and Isarl. Uh, I maybe push back on the Isarl one a little bit, but... Maybe. I think the idea is just that the sneakiness of them and the fact that they can do a bunch of... They can wait till the end of a round, have Transparis still plating, and they can make a move on you and you can't do anything in retaliation. They might Very be true. able to pull out uh, a snipe with enough action cards. Yeah, or like, you know what? Hey, I've got crippled defenses or whatever. I've got something right. that's going to ch- turn the tide. Um, yeah. But, you know, I, I completely agree with all those others. I mean, the, the really... Really solid list overall. I, I with only a little bit of pushback there. Yeah. Uh, maybe I don't know. Does Winu even belong on there at all? <laughs> <laughs> you know They're supposed mean? to be a good holder, and if yeah. you get enough time to sit there, yes, they are a great holder. Sure. Uh, if you have all of the things that you need, but you just got to execute a magic it. Christmas land. Yeah. Perfectly. Um. So we've got uh, another piece of errata from Patience is a virtue. One of our space kitties. Love you, Patience. Um. This <laughs> one's specifically calling me out, so I will let you read it, Matt. Hunter asks about the value of taking Mechatol Rex with just a carrier and a ground force for the custodian's point. I take Rex first almost every single time that I can. It's usually with one dude and a ship that I'm willing to lose. I rarely hold it unless I'm playing Soul or Sar. At a point that no one else can score is almost always worth it. It's huge. He goes on to break down just like that idea, and we sort of brought that up. The Just the general idea of like a point that other people can't get is like a really major investment in how to win in the late game. Right, um, right. This I is think... this is one of those tricky subjects where it's about value. Yeah, yeah, and it's a point. A point should. It's like the point is almost always worth it. Yeah. But let's read these next two erratas to sort well, of get. Yeah, a, yeah. A I I want to I want to respond to patience not with my own voice, yes. but Robofish has some own errata, kind of calling patience out. So now right. we've got errata versus errata happening. <laughs> He's not really calling. He probably didn't even see the patience thing. Right. Um, but this is what Robofish says. When you guys are talking about the seizure of the initial victory point, they're talking about the custodian's point, and you're talking about accepting the loss of a carrier, you talk about the cost of the carrier and the infantry at 3.5 resources. But what you don't mention is the additional cost of six influence needed to remove the counter. That is a big loss in the early game. So we, so yeah. we are not even 
we we didn't even do our our due diligence of actually establishing how actually i do feel like maybe we did mention the six i now that i'm no i don't think we really did but even more important i want to also add the command counter that you used to take it yeah. in the first place so it's really 3.5 resources and nine influence or two influence i mean six influence and one command counter all to take one point now it's one point that no one else can get so it is better than a normal point right but that's still a lot and not just a lot it's a lot in the early game yeah yeah um there's there is a whole there's a whole way that that decision can spiral out and possibly sink your game i think i think that is possible well, um, what you see, what you see, the evidence of this being a scary thing is what you see in Winu, right? Winu has one carrier, very few units. Uh-huh. If you send that one carrier and one dude to win it, uh, to Mechatol Rex and then lose it, you have nothing else. That's it, and that's your game. Uh, somebody else will just jump on you and take the rest of your slice. It's not worth it to have gotten that one point if if you then lose literally the rest of your slice. Yeah. Yeah. So it's those I, things you have to be careful of. I think this is this is one of those uh discussions where there's there's not really a right or wrong answer because Twilight Imperium is too complex basically for us to just have one like rule of thumb approach that's going to work and one rule of thumb approach that doesn't work. Yeah. Um but uh I this is why I love this show is just the different <laughs> you know like when patience when I saw patience uh point originally I was like patience very smart player very uh and reading it i like literally there was a part of me that was like yeah maybe maybe i am wrong about that but then to read other people be like no like this is a lot this is this is a lot yeah. to uh and in fact actually we should read uh blurpater because yeah, it, it uh, gets more it gets more specific than that as blurpater 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 hmm. uh, as they say one thing that i feel like should have been mentioned more is the meta shift when someone takes mechatol rex especially for a faction like emirates of hakan taking mechatol can be very bad because if the table starts to not trade with you because you have mechatol then mechatol is not worth it for you to uh, they're talking about hakan which is the perfect example hakan's entire faction ability relies on the ability to trade with other players right. and if you're sitting on mechatol and people go you know what we just don't want to trade with you uh-oh you don't have a faction ability anymore. You don't have a you you don't you don't have a way to like succeed in the game ahead of other factions. Right. It, it certainly is not worth the meta loss of taking Mechatol. Now this is more when you take Mechatol and hold it. This is less about just taking the custodian's point. But it is worth pointing out that there's like we didn't go into deep, uh, you know, detail on what happens when you're just sitting there on Mechatol and how other players feel about. It. Right. You. And if and if you're the kind of faction who can't suffer a meta loss, uh might not be might not be worth it. This is why we think Soul is a great faction for Mechatol, because they don't care about the meta loss. They can generally overcome it, sort of, maybe kind of, depending on who you're asking. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I just think there's you know, it's like it's really hard for um, you know, anyone to just to be the least popular person at the table. Um but if I'm gonna be the least popular person at the table, I would like to play Soul, please. <laughs> yeah, um, that's just kind of how I feel about that one. Um, yeah, what what a good game. I, I really like Twilight Imperium, uh, just because it's so open ended. You know. Yeah. Like that's yeah. why we've been able to do this show is that you can have so many different uh, opinions on uh, even just the same exact uh, topic. Right. And I don't think any of these people are wrong. I think they're all right. Yeah. In, like, well, the games that they've played, basically. The thing I've learned the most uh, over the course of this show is that, honestly, so many different people's uh, ideas on strategy 
are valid because they come from their own distinct metas. The The biggest thing is the tournament taught me that like different players play in very different ways and can still see a ton of success and different players look at different components differently. So when I'm building these maps, sometimes I get comments that are just like, this map is absolute trash. I, it, you know, no one could ever have success on it. But then you get someone else who's like, this is exactly what I want to see because this is how I play Twilight Imperium. So you can have that much disparity between players just in like all one game because of all the different factors that can come up. You can be a completely different type of player and it, it just comes down to who you are. Uh, the thing I think about is when we talked about uh, when you were interviewing Bill Eberly about Dune, he talked about you get the, the, the player gets to invest themselves in a new role. Right. Right. Twilight Imperium isn't really that. You don't become the extra. The extra become a version of yourself and a version of your strategy, and you take on that. Just like we're talking about with me and Barony, my Barony is different than Imsen's Barony, and it always will be because we're two very different players. Right. And that and, is and fascinating. It, unquestionably, Imsen's Barony is way better, better, way better yeah. than yours. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Oh, it's so it's so it's so fun that we have uh, made this show that we put so much work into, and then just built this culture around us that uh, is all so they're just so good at the game. And then, like, why are we still telling? <laughs> why are we the ones? Why here? are we still giving them our <laughs> thoughts when they're just like, yeah? So I played um, two hundred and fifty thousand games, and, uh, I'm, and actually, I'm like, I'm actually afraid of the Necro guide because it's like I think you and I have some thoughts on Necro, but we're gonna. I haven't read Magi's. Um, omnibus that he sent us uh-huh. about necro but when we do it's gonna be like man just you do it like you you will give you the podcast for a week and just let you read this out loud into a microphone right well and that's the necro guide i guess well that's the thing though is that the, this is our this is our compromise now we are we're the mainstream we're the right. like here's the just Here's just the basic Becky right. stuff you can do. <laughs> and then everybody else can be like, that's cool, but we're like artists. And <laughs> when we play Twilight Imperium, it's art. And we're just like, yeah, we just know how to play a little bit, I guess. Um, so yeah, we're that's us. We are um we are the we're like nickelback, you know? <laughs> and then the you know, the somebody like Magi is like, they're like Radiohead, you know? Uh-huh. Uh, why did I know you were going to say Radiohead? Because uh, I had already dork. said art. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Hey, guess what you can Radiohead do? Radiohead is art. Uh, if you love our no, what they do is about art. Radiohead and uh, everything that has to do with music. If this is your favorite right, music all right, podcast, right now, rate us on favorite iTunes and Apple favorite Radiohead album. Give it to me. What's what's your what's your favorite? Uh, what's your number one? Uh, oh, you're monk- weird. Don't you like Amnesiac? That's like no, your no, favorite. No, no, my favorite is uh, my favorite is the the Monkey and the Big Big Bank. Uh, that's my favorite Radiohead album. Wait, wait, what? what the was- Monkey and the Big Big Bank. I don't remember that one. You don't monkey remember that? Big, big oh, Bank. Hunter. Oh, Hunter. Huh. <laughs> True. Clearly, you don't actually appreciate Radiohead. What did you call it? The Monkey and the Big Big Bank. Yeah, don't Google it. Uh, you won't find it's not on Google. <laughs> uh, uh, please rate us. Please rate this conversation and how well I uh, <laughs> distracted Hunter from uh, learning about my favorite album. Uh, in, you can also f- in rainbows. That's that's the one. That's right. that's I've got. N- I'm knives out right now about that's in fine. rainbows. Isn't that I funny? Don't, I don't have a favorite Radiohead album. I don't. Yeah, you do. I don't. You're I don't just care. embarrassed. You're I don't just care. embarrassed. 
Hey, follow us on Twitter <laughs> at Space Cats Pod. And oh. ask Matt his favorite <laughs> Radiohead album. Get him to admit that he likes them. Uh, we're on Facebook, Space he Cats loves Peace them. Turtles. He loves I... Tom. Oh, Thom. Johnny. Oh, Thom Yorkie. Oh, he likes Thom Yorkie and Johnny and Colin. Oh, on and Twilight Phil. Imperium subreddit, uh, reddit.com slash r slash Twilight Imperium. There's lots of fun conversations. You can also find our Board Game Geek Guild at boardgamegeek.com slash guild slash 3103. Uh, join our Patreon so that you can become a part of our tournament that we talked about earlier. Be on our tournament so that we can have 216 players and have the largest Twilight Imperium tournament that has ever been held by probably a wide margin, and I don't know if we will ever recreate it again. If we can get 216 players this year... I will uh, eat my uh, dinner. Okay. Yeah. Is when, that, did we finish the show? Shh. When you were here before, <laughs> couldn't look you in the eye. Uh, you're just like me. Ah, oh, you're singing Tom's favorite song. Your skin makes me cry. You float like a feather. Uh, you're a creep, Matt. See you later. Thank you for listening to Space Cats Peace Turtles, and thanks to Ben Prunty for the use of his music. You can find more at benpruntymusic.com and benprunty.bandcamp.com. Pax Magnifica, Bellum Gloriosum. <laughs>